What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain this podcast represents the first time I came into contact with Hamilton Souther, and he was highly recommended by some close friends as an ayahuasca shaman and a maestro, but I really didn't get to see the true potential that he had and unlock how powerful he was and how he would be able to completely reframe my ideas about medicine work and spirituality until not only we got to get through these podcasts, but also do the actual medicine work with him and he really is one of those pioneers that changes the paradigm and we put both part one and part two of these podcasts together so it's a nice long podcast with one of his great contributions to the world of plant medicine which is what he calls his medicine world and this is a meditation which is designed in the language of paul selig to raise your octave to a level of vibration to a level of emotional state where you don't have to worry about any of these hypothetical dark energies that might be present, that you can be in such a state of love, such a state of radiance, that you're like the sun, and go ahead and try and throw a shadow on, stick it to the sun. Good luck. You know, it's not going to work. And, and he really created this idea that can drop all medicine work into a much deeper piece and allow you to hold a higher state of love while you're in the medicine. And it's just a beautiful contribution you know, he's an incredibly interesting guy and human as we all are, but also, you know, containing that special thing that some of the great shamans and great maestros of the world have as well. So I'm really excited to release this podcast for you guys. I included a couple recordings of some ikros of us when we were together um, working in ceremony. And I hope you guys enjoy it. And I know, you know, he's been a huge part of my life and hopefully his wisdom can impart some value on your life too. Honored to have you here and, thank you. and mix it up with you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Get it's a real pleasure a to be here and excited to get to share the story and you know keep yeah. keep spreading the, the word around something really special in this world. For sure, yeah. for sure. So at some point you had you know you had the calling. Yeah, and found you you found yourself heading down south, presumably. Yeah, and uh, so tell us a little bit of that, and then we'll get right into it. Yeah, when I was uh, year after I graduated from college. Uh, I started having spontaneous visions and the visions were clearly spiritual in their origin and 
I didn't have any explanation for them, but they continued. And within six weeks of the start of the visions, I was told that I would go to Peru and I would find this sort of prophesized apprenticeship and that I would become a Peruvian shaman, which for me sounded like, you know, you know so, so, zone so a lot of, pe- a lot of people, when like, they have a calling, it's not quite that literal. Right. Uh, no, this is very literal, but I did not think this was going to come true though. You have to understand. Like I was like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. This isn't going to come true, but I certainly went to Peru and it did come true. And so that, that, you know, made me have to think twice about what the universe was and what life was and what was happening. Cause I was just in my early twenties, you know, so I was just kind of starting to embark on what we'd call adult life. Yeah. That's a, uh, I guess, you know, the calling comes to everybody in a different way. And sure. I guess for you, the universe was like, this dude needs it directly literal, literal. Yeah. Literal. <laughs> you know? But I'd gotten to a point in my life where I was kind of like, where am I going? What am I doing? What is this? And I was certainly disenchanted and it got a little dark and stuff like that. So I think I needed a literal wake up call. And right. uh, I didn't have a background in spirituality or anything like that. I didn't really understand it. It didn't mean anything to me. And so, you know, when you have these light beings talking to you, you, you then decide, you know, whether you're you need help or whether they're real. You, right. you decide that, yeah, right? You gotta, you gotta make that so choice. I figured I had to give them the benefit of the doubt. So I'd go to Peru and if it you know, didn't work out, then I'd just be quote unquote normal maybe or something. But, right. but I ended up deep in the Amazon and uh, in this tiny little river, a little community of eight families and with a, you know, a guy and a bottle of ayahuasca. And so I ended up staying for a and long then, time. So that's, uh, I mean, that's not always the wisest way to go about searching for an ayahuasca experience is just to head there blind and, and look for a guy with the bottle definitely That's, not a recommended way of going about it in this day and age yeah you know we have sure. to think that 14 15 years ago it was climate was a little different very different very different and mm-hmm. um the number of people looking for ayahuasca was very different and those kinds of experiences and um I, it also wasn't just random i mean i had this deep spiritual connection. I had an ability to communicate with guides at that time and I was being guided by them. And I was already told the specific guide I needed to find in Iquitos. And, you know, I found that guy. By name or just by? By name. I had a Lonely Planet guidebook and the name was mentioned in the book. And it was every single time I went to look at the Amazon, the message was that guy, that guy, that guy, no one else. Can you share the name? Uh, It was uh, was a gentleman by the name of Moises Torres, who's, you know, now kind of retired but he was mm-hmm. the only jungle guide from Iquitos that guided into the area of the forest where i ended up apprenticing right so it was very clear that i needed to find that guide because that was the only guide that took people to where don julio jerena pinedo lived who was the sort of grand elder that trained me right you know and then it turned out that alberto and julio had had visions for 10 years before my arrival that i would come so they had been seeing it for a long time you know that at some point this like you know gringo guy was gonna show up and stay you know and so so it was all very part of this like very prophetic experience and it was shared on both sides and so i had to get to that location which was you know hundreds of kilometers from Iquitos, deep into the forest and so it was then there was only one guy who took you know foreigners out there so mm-hmm. you know it, so inevitably when you experience enough plant medicine it begins to reshape your paradigm and the rules by which you abide by absolutely um but you know you're talking about these things that allies were guiding you you had these visions of these light beings sure how does that how did that fit in your existing framework before the plant medicine and how has that been kind of 
shaped afterwards? You know, it didn't fit at all into my previous framework. My previous framework was born into a family of Western medicine. That was the beginning and the end of it. There was, mm-hmm. uh, it was all science-based, math-based, uh, very empirically based. And there was very little room for what would be seen as entirely personal experience or personal paradigms. It's, it, was all co- it was all the collective, right? right. And so when I went down there, um, there was just a tremendous amount of doubt, confusion, you know, and I started to have to open up to a much kind of wider and broader view which was well, maybe, you know, the other six, seven billion people on the planet who know of this stuff and have experienced this and have culture with it and collective mythology aren't wrong. You know, I kind of realized mm-hmm. I might have been really arrogant in my youth that there might be a whole lot more going on in the world than what I had initially, you know, seen and understood. And then when I got into it, um, the pendulum swung the other direction. I started to see that that was you know, this new paradigm and this new way of thinking and this new exploration of consciousness was where the real deep wisdom was and the real knowledge was, you know, and then over the years from there, the pendulum has kind of swung back into the middle where it it's really does now hold both, you mm-hmm. know, and, and in that journey, it, it, I think for a period of time, I was really connected to this idea of, well, kind of who had it right, because there was this real dichotomy and this real opposition between sure you know, modalities. And then I started to think something very different, which has been fueling my work now, which is that it's it's not about right or wrong or about who has their finger on the pulse, but it's about consciousness. And I see that consciousness gets shaped and it really is the bridge of the entirety of our experience. And I got really fired up about how human consciousness shapes human experience and, mm-hmm. you know, what we can do to to change the state of consciousness that we're in. Your your journey echoes a lot of, you know, has a lot of similarities with my own. I mean, it, it first started with, you know, you get this kind of, for me, the visions didn't come before the plant medicine, it came yeah. kind of after that, and when I had that direct spiritual experience. And when I had the direct spiritual experience, I got really angry at the traditional paradigm that says you have to go through an intermediary in order to speak to source or speak sure. to God, you know. So I got really you know, pissed at the at the the desert religions that said, you know, talk to your priest and the priest will relay the message and then get the message and relay it back to you. And I'm like, what the hell is that system? You yeah. know what? And so, you know, as I've gotten older though, then you start to kind of be able to bridge, you know, bridge the value of all of these different traditions and kind of see a more temperate um kind of viewpoint. But I think one of the greatest lies still ever told in the world is that people can't go out and find these truths themselves. They have to go look in the book or they have to go talk to somebody else. Um, the truths are there for everybody. And I think that's the very heart of this medicine and shamanism in general. It's I'll show you, not tell you. Yeah, first of all, the shaman is a guide. Mm-hmm. You know, in visionary work and consciousness expansion, shamans are guides. And in traditional tribal societies, shamans are literally medicine men and medicine women, which means doctor. Yeah, and so you have that you have that real split between, you know, what a doctor is in the Western world and what a doctor is in a tribal world. And this, I think, simplest difference is that in the the tribal world, the doctors never separated mysticism and spirituality and spirit and energy from the kind of whole collective knowledge base or ensemble. You know, and then you then you then see as you start to explore more and more and more these incredible commonalities. You know, these incredible commonalities in visionary experience, the wisdom and knowledge that you come into contact with, 
what happens to your mind as soon as you awaken the heart and the heart starts to open up and really becomes like a chalice that holds the mind and gives it stability and structure. And you start to see a real difference between the institution and the institutionalization of these incredible mystical truths and understandings about life. And you can, you can be more open-minded and, and really pick from the different traditions, what aspect of it speaks to you and, and not have to fully take on the institution of it and all of the beliefs associated with that yeah. institution. And you start right. to see that like, you know, like you mentioned the term God. Well, from my understanding that what that term means is an understanding found across every single religion and every single form of mysticism and every tribal society. They just have very different description for it. But the mm-hmm. concepts there, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that concept is ubiquitously expressed across the entirety of humanity. Right. And just it's just the connotation that freaks people out because sure. it's been associated with so many different things depending upon the context from which it's been used yeah you know, that's why you have to be careful with vocabulary because you say god to some oh you and say it means god something to totally me, different. you say god to me at 22 and i'm like you know go fuck yourself <laughs> or, you know I, I mean i was angry at yeah, that sure at that kind of paradigm whereas sure whereas now the the vocabulary as you said doesn't bother me because my understanding it extends far beyond what any I'm I'm not in that context anymore. Yeah, you know, and I'm you able can apply my own context. Yeah, and you can leave the context. And you know, when I see the great criticisms about the the large spiritual or religious institutions, what is being criticized is the institution, totally, and the practitioners in the institution. That's what seems to get criticized, and and the the other side of it is the push to try to make that institution strong. And what seems to be left out is the real mysticism within every single <laughs> tradition. And, yeah, and it's the real, there. The it, it really truth. is there. Yeah. Like, you know, people can can say whatever they want about uh, any of the, the religions. But in all of the religions, there's a paradigm associated to what we would think of as duality or a dualistic construct where there are opposing forces or opposing pieces. And mm-hmm. you start to look at it, whether it's, you know, angels and demons or it's yin yang or it's light dark or it's all mm-hmm. Tao and flow. You know, you start to see the commonalities. And what I would like to see, you know, for people who are who are really curious and they're exploring and they would like to find these truths out for themselves is to to step away from the antagonism about all of it and really just get open. Yeah. You know, get really open and get really flexible and say, okay, I don't need to fight you over words and I don't need to fight you over meaning. We're exploring. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was, I think, one of the the benchmarks for me going down to Peru is that it allowed me to be an explorer. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole world's been like the world has been you know, traced with human feet now, footsteps everywhere, but the inner worlds of consciousness are entirely personal and, and they're open for exploration for each individual. And, you know, you can't, you can't touch it unless you taste it and explore it yourself. I think that is the most important message of, of all of this is don't take anybody's word for it. Go out there and find it. Please, And And that's why you see these shamans smiling over and over again, because they know what you're going to find oh, for sure. the most part. Sure, sure. You know, like they know where it's heading, but they still won't tell you because they know if they told you it wouldn't matter anyways, it's you're going to have, you got to see it. Yeah, you know, it's you thoughts and ideas. It. It's all thoughts and ideas and it becomes theory and then it becomes another group of opinions that everybody can debate. Yeah. You know, but until you really get in there and you start to explore for yourself what any of these concepts mean and what any of these visionary experiences mean, it's just conjecture. And one of the things I loved about shamanism more than anything was that 
there was never an expectation to believe. There was only an expectation to experience. Mm -hmm. So once I started to yep. apprentice and was accepted to apprentice, I didn't have the option to back out anymore. I didn't yeah. get like take the night off. You know, it was yeah. like you're serious, but but let's find out what you're serious about, not tell you what you have to be serious about. Yeah. You know, and it takes it out of the realm of just I believe this because I'm supposed to. I mean, when I talk about what happens after you die, I can speak about it with certainty. And sometimes people challenge me. How are you sure, bro? You know, you're not dead. And I was like, look, I'm personally sure. I'm not going to be able to ever convince you to be personally sure. But I've seen what that dimension feels like. I've looked at it. I've sure. felt it. I know it's there. And I'm 100% confident personally that that, you know, that other dimension exists across the threshold of the transition. But if I hadn't been there and felt it and seen it, no, I wouldn't. I would never have that kind of absolutely. Confidence. You know, and when I look at that kind of a, a concept, and we talk about something that is, you know, so intense as death, you know, the very first thing I always think of is, wouldn't that be entirely personal? How is <laughs> <laughs> it's going to speak to you? It's not speaking yeah. to anybody else, right? right? Everybody at the funeral is alive except for the one guy who's dead. So, so that experience has to be entirely personal, and then. And then we don't even know what parts die other than just the body. We know the body goes into stillness and then, mm -hmm. you know, decomposes as it was constructed. But, but the experience beyond that, and that's where I always go back to consciousness, shows us the, the infinite. It shows us the eternal. Time's different. Mm -hmm. It shows us the emotional. Completely different. Mm -hmm. Shows us the connected. Completely different. Shows us the multidimensional. Completely different. You know, and so so for those of people like you who've had that experience, you can speak with certainty on it because you've crossed the rainbow bridge. You've crossed the bridge of consciousness. You've yeah. gone to the non-physicality of consciousness. You've experienced the eternal of consciousness mm -hmm. and the the awareness that you don't lose identity, but you lose identification along the way. Beautifully like, said. You're still you. I mean, right. it's like completely. Just the best fucking version the of you. The best version of it. It's the yeah. cleanest, like, you know, most truthful, most loving, most aware, most open, and most so, incredible. And so happy, you know. And, and that's another thing. I've had other experiences with other really powerful plant medicines, one of which was Iboga with uh, a 10th generation Bwiti shaman and really went deep in that, where I was able to speak to this, the consciousness, the essence of consciousness of people both alive and dead. Sure. And that's an interesting part of the paradigm. Sure. But the interesting thing to me about that is you you think of ghosts, like we have this Western conception of ghosts and it's ooh, and it's all like that. <laughs> These people were cracking jokes. They, we were laughing. It was like the very best iteration of their personality and identity. And when we were done talking, they would screw around with me. They, some of them would flip me off like, <laughs> hey, 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 stop talking to me. We're done here. You know, and and to see the like the the vibrancy of those of that spark of consciousness and the joy and yeah. the love that was emanating was really something that was that was special and will always kind of stick with me yeah when the human body is the the core rooted location of consciousness there's all of the separation between everybody that mm -hmm. can that is perceived but not real Right? It's perceived, yeah. but it's not real. Like right. between you and me right now, air is connecting us, tables connecting us, floors connecting us, chair, matter, concept, auric fields. There's all these things connecting us, but it seems so separate. As soon as you can shed that, that concept of separation, you're instantly awakened to a greater understanding and a greater connectivity with everything around us. Yeah. You know? And that, that's what the shamans really explore. 
Right. They're just looking at how everything's connected and what it all means and, you know, what you can do with it and how you can help people with it and what kind of medicine you can practice and sure. how you can expand consciousness. And then once you understand that we're all like cells in a single organism, you know, and that's when you can really when you when you make that clear, then you realize what your true agenda is. It's OK. Yeah, you got to keep your own cell healthy, you know, because yeah. you're part of the organism. You got to keep the cells you directly touch, maybe your family, these close friends. But for those of us who have the ability to communicate to a larger part of the body and make that healthy, you know, of course we got to do that. And we're all part of this same, the same organism, just you yeah. know, separated, as you say, by, you know, our own constructs in our mind. Yeah, I think if humanity could collectively understand that the trajectory and transit of life in time is very, very short, even though it seems when you're in it very long, like 60, 70, 80 years seems long. And when you're a kid, I mean, an hour can seem like forever. Yeah. But if you look at sort of, you know, whenever we want to call the origin point of time until now, there's a ton of it out in the universe, mm -hmm. like this huge amount of time. And that as an expression of consciousness, that eternal notion of our being really just got started in this life. And as soon as we shed the rest of it, and I don't mean it in, in the form of having to physically die, but shed these, these like perception barriers between all of us, we can start to see that that very same consciousness that we're talking about that you find in plant medicines is happening in the normalcy of our daily life. We're just sure. cut off from it. Sure. You know, and then we can get to start start to get to like that that really amazing paradigm that life can be on a, a global level or a humanity based level where people are actually seeing that we are one humanity. Mm -hmm. They can see beyond the differences, beyond the cultures, beyond the races and see like, yeah, we're all experiencing the exact same core architecture of life, like conception birthed us into cells cells birthed us into little bodies and we've been cruising the earth ever since trying yeah. to figure it out you know and yeah. like like that aspect of it alone right there really to me is a, a deep humbling experience to understand that there is a one single collective story we're all figuring out together mm -hmm. yeah it's like uh collectively we form that one the one source, you know, that create that life force, that creation. And, and when I look about sometimes you wonder, like, well, what's the purpose of working so hard to improve consciousness? Well, it's like the more collectively we form that the mood of God, you know, like, is God happy or is God frustrated and pissed <laughs> off and sad? You know, sure. like collectively, if we all elevate, then the whole mood of the of the collective improves. And so it's like that the organism is happier, healthier stronger and absolutely absolutely i look at humanity as a single collective and i look at it as a single ancestry and a single timeline mm -hmm. and i don't really know i mean i studied anthropology so 150 160,000 years ago we have archaeological record of the first homo sapiens sapiens sort of mm -hmm. walking the earth and stuff and i see this continuous timeline ever since then and that what really separated homo sapiens sapiens from all of the other kinds of organic life on earth was that we had this awakening to consciousness we have an understanding of our own consciousness a self-identified version of the consciousness a collective version of the consciousness and so what we're really talking about is the nexus of the mind and the imagination and the emotions and physicality to actually do something to affect consciously and know it and so to me, the whole game now is consciousness. Yeah, We've played out the physical game, you know, ad infinitum, technological revolutions, you know, to this, this incredible explosion of digital revolution, information, technology everywhere. And so it's like, well, now what? 
now what do we do? And it's like, well, the evolution of consciousness and the work to evolve consciousness becomes truly the next human operating system. It, it can redefine physics. It can redefine technology. It can redefine health and wellness. It can redefine, you know, what you guys are into with total human optimization. It can redefine the, what a mind is and what a brain is. And I don't see any reason why we don't understand that we're on the cusp of that next evolution. Like this is, this is the moment in human history. To me, mm -hmm. it's the most exciting time in human history ever. Yeah, I agree. I think we're very close to starting to actually build those physical bridges to these consciousness and other concepts, you know, already like the science about the power of belief is coming out. Sure. You know? So you're, you're having books like by Joe Dispenza and these different books, you are the placebo talking about these amazing stories about the placebo and the nocebo effect, how the mind alone can affect, can cure an incurable disease or actually create an incurable disease. Sure. You know, and just documented cases of this. So we're starting to find these connections where thoughts, you know, interpret to matter. But then it starts to get even more interesting in the quantum physics level where the observation of a certain thing will create the outcome of a certain thing. You know, the observer effect in quantum physics. Absolutely. And then I think we're even on the cusp of finding out even more links. You know, I'm... I'm I've been really interested in the results of that particle accelerator that they've uh, that they've had going in Europe, and they're yeah. looking for what they call the God particle, that sure. Higgs boson particle. And so, a lot of people were thinking that the Higgs boson was going to come in at a weight of 115 units, and that was like the conventional theory, right? And they didn't even know if it existed, but if it did, that made everything make sense. And some some other factions thought it would come in at 140, which meant it was a multiverse. And so they actually ran the thing and nobody had nobody thought it was going to be anything in between. They ran the thing and it came out as an average between the two. And I was like, that's very curious. Sure. It just makes me wonder if that particle isn't some direct link like that nexus point where belief translates into matter. And so the collective belief of what it is, it's like, oh, what does everybody believe it is? Oh, 126. Cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. You know, like I think we're on the cusp of and that's kind of like a radical theory that would be rejected by every quantum physicist now. But at some point, I think we'll actually start to find the science to blend with this spirituality, because as above, so below. I mean, these rules are are going to have their footprints in the physical world, just as they are in the spiritual world. Yeah, the work that we're doing right now with the Blue Morpho Foundation and sort of our expansion into the, the modern world, because, you know, I lived in the Amazon for 12 years straight, just practicing traditional Amazonian ayahuasca shamanism, is to take the mystical knowledge that we've amassed and actually apply science to it and apply math to it. And mm -hmm. we're in the process right now of creating a coalition of astrophysicists and particle physicists to be able to start to mathematically model the mysticism and Beautiful. bring mystical understanding into hard science. Yeah, because it's, I mean, the connection will be there, and that, that I agree with you, that's going to be the real revolution. Just as the clinical studies that have been done on psilocybin and MDMA have allowed those medicines, and um, marijuana, the medical kind of research that has come out, mm -hmm. have allowed those to become accepted by mainstream society and start to become, start to proliferate. Yeah. I mean, the train is on the tracks for legalization of these things because of the scientific method, which has been our predominant religion in our culture. I mean, that is the religion uh, that everybody yeah, ascribes Western to. Science, certainly. So we've applied this, these so-called mystical and these drugs, you know, these psychedelic drugs to that. And all of a sudden people are 
accepting it. Oh, yeah, mushrooms. I heard that's really good for end-of-life care. Oh, yeah, there's that study by Johns Hopkins. And oh, yeah, MDMA. Yeah, it's great for PTSD. And then all of a sudden, people's minds start to open. And I think when we start to make the connections like you're working on making, where it starts to tie into more of these more of these phenomena it's just going to really open up people's minds to a truth that has been you know forgotten by most people yeah i think the the sacred plants are so important in that because you know through the work that we've done at blue morpho we've had people from 60 70 80 countries from around the world come and 48 of the 50 states have come to our center from every single background and walk of life and so we've had these like you know MDs and PhD doctors coming to us over and over and over again, looking to extend not only their own understanding of the universe, but their own work. And all of a sudden we have this like watering hole, this meeting point somewhere in the world around this understanding of exploring consciousness in conjunction with these plants. And it's bringing together people that never would have sat Mm -hmm. around a table together. And this, and in this case, it's not even a table. It starts in like a a great circle in a very ancient traditional way where everybody's dropping these, you know, cloaks of sort of modernity and saying, okay, I'm here, I'm present you know, I'm a big bundle of energy. Where is this going to take us all? And then the next days, the conversation gets to become something that really more is coalition based and, you know, sharing ideas and crossing these gaps that you would never see, you know, in other places. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you you talk about sitting around in a circle and, you know, we had never spoken before this podcast. And, you know, we find that we're sharing so many similar ideas, but you find that in almost every ayahuasca circle, you have unless someone's really trying to put on a show or something and there's a rare circumstance where you'll find that where they they want to have an experience that will impress people or something like that i've seen that occasionally but for the most part if people are telling the truth i've never had anybody go around with the talking stick or however you do it and describe their experience and be like what (laughs) no that doesn't make any sense it's like you everybody comes to truths that inherently sit as you know, sit well as and in, incongruent in, in with the same paradigm. It's it's a wild phenomenon. Whereas, no matter who they are, no matter what background they come from, when they share their experience, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. And I, I think with in that case, what we're getting is a group of people to sit down and agree to some core similarities to life. Right. And when I look at modern society and the modern lives we live. I see that most modern people were born into incredible stability in those core sort of vectors. And so you have, you know, relative physical health and well-being. Like I always say to people who are fairly sick, focus on the 80, 90 percent of you that's really healthy because it's that's where we're going to find that movement. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the mind, same thing with the emotion, same thing with the imagination. And when you come to something like ayahuasca and those kinds of experiences, you already know you're going to those places. You're going to your understanding within you of these core aspects of just what it is to be a human being. And modern societies like floats above that. They just take all of that for granted and then live within a psychic state where you don't have to really worry about those concepts. You're not really worried about your physical survival. You're not really worried about how you're going to come out of one day to the next mentally or emotionally, or you're not, you know, typically in that moment coming to this point where, you know, in four or five hours, you're looking to do 10, 20 years of psychological processing, you know? And so when you know you're coming to that, it makes everybody, well, not everybody, but almost everybody like get really real, like really deep inside themselves and just say like, 
here we are. And at Blue Morph, I used to love watching that the first day, everybody was pantomiming like their own existence. Right. Like literally acting it out, right? Like nerves were up, <laughs> anxious. Like they're literally in their physical expressions, you know, like acting out what's going on. And by day three, they would just be like so relaxed in the chair, <laughs> talking, sharing, expressing. And that whole mask of personality and sort of layer upon layer upon layer of this this psychological competitiveness for the space and you know, who's going to have the greatest experience and competition, all that was neutralized to a point where everybody's just really, really in their skin, Yeah, you know, grounded, present, saying like, yeah, I, I had a big experience last night. Yeah. Like that really rocked my world, you know. I don't even know how I'm going to in- integrate it, you know, or, sure. you know, after that. And I always thought that's something very special. It is very special. And what's also special is that there's people who inherently, I've seen it in many different groups, inherently completely dislike each other upon initial meeting. You know, it's like, I can't fucking stand that guy. He right. like, drives me crazy. And, you know, there's people like that out in the world. It's like a microcosm for the world. But you go through ceremony like this and you share this sacrament. And all of a sudden, by the end, you know, the hugs between every single person are real. You know, whatever whatever differences, yeah, that may still not be the person you invite over for Thanksgiving. But nonetheless, there's a mutual respect and a kind of, it's just a whole different vibe that that comes from that. And it just makes me think that out to the, our society as a whole, we're missing ceremony from our life in general. We're missing that ability to bond with people over something as important as this. It does. It wouldn't necessarily have to be plant medicine. But sure. the, the importance of ceremony to kind of bridge these gaps and break down these judgments and barriers that we have is so important. And plant medicines are definitely one of the best ways to do that. Yeah, ceremony is something certainly missing in modern society. I think it didn't have a lot of space in Western scientific thought. Like you mentioned, sort of the proliferation of the concepts of Western science. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you look at just the way people treat the idea of ceremony and how difficult it is, like planning a wedding or something, like what people think of as their most like most important day of their yeah. life. And you know, you got Bridezilla shows on TV and stuff. <laughs> like you can't you can't just have a ceremony, right? Like, yeah. like what is that aspect of the expression of human consciousness and a kind of human gathering to have it not be weird, to have it just be completely normal? Like is for me at first it was a little bit weird. I would sit with this tremendous anxiety before quote unquote ceremony out in the jungle and stuff and you hear the cacophony of all the sounds and the animals and the jungle comes to life and you're sitting there going like okay like like the engines are revving for the indie five like this is gonna happen and then it it started after years become really relaxed and it's like well we all we're doing is ceremony like it like we're always in ceremony you know i do probably i don't know four or five ceremonies a week of different kinds just to be in that state of consciousness and to keep that continuity and flow of openness and and the the expression of our energy and sort of that that vitality that we get from that experience. And I think that, you know, the message is ceremony is natural. Mm. It's natural. Yeah. It's natural to revere life. We revere life. Yeah. And the ones, unfortunately, you, you touched on, I mean, the ones that we do have have become increasingly hollow, really, of actual genuine meaning. I mean, think about the most important two, weddings and funerals, really. Yeah. You know, and so everyone, you know, bridal shower, or bar mitzvah, or what? It, put anything, birthday, any anything like that, and it's really about gifts, show, drinking, 
You know, it's about things that really are have absolutely nothing to do with real ceremony, you know, for the most part. I mean, there's some tender moments that can happen in a wedding, but it's not really designed to to magnify that necessarily. It's just kind of like it happens because the union is special, if it is special. Otherwise, it's just like, man, what the hell is this? Yeah, but, you know, look at the paradigm that we have in Western society where in like this incredible developed, incredibly wealth, incredible expression of technology, we've also been taught you will never be real. Like never be real. Never just show up and be yourself. Do mm-hmm. not do that. If you mm-hmm. do that, you are gonna get kicked, spit on, bullied, hurt, worked. Like no one, no one is supposed to just be themselves. There's no space for an individual to just be who they are in like this collective fear-based mindset. And so how are we supposed to come and just relax and be together as people and have enough space around us and enough respect around us to let everybody be themselves and see that there's no reason for all of those fears? Yeah. You know, if if we can't get past that, how are we going to be able to have ceremony? Because everybody's going to be peacocking and primping and sitting <laughs> and adjusting and, and like, you know, faking the facial expressions and communicating smokescreen the whole time. Sure. And again, going back to the sacred plant medicine, they tear that down. Yeah. Like just tear it down, yep. you know, instantly, like instantly. Yeah, you're going to be shitting in front of people. You're going to be puking in front of people. Eventually, you don't give a shit what you're wearing. No. You know, all of these things all that you formerly things- thought are just like... They're gone. Yeah, because there is this commonality, and that's where we find ceremony. And so that's something that we can be mindful of and conscious of and continue to share and support other people getting into. And I've been really working with that because ceremony is so important to our lives. And it's so common, you know, in the cultures where I, I learned all of these these different techniques and, and methodologies to explore consciousness. And then coming back here, confronting that that sort of vibe around ceremony and weirdness around ceremony and like people not really sure how to be. And so I've really started exploring just playing games as ceremony, yeah. like different kinds of conscious exploration games because we're used to playing games and it's something fun Mon- that we do. like games. We love games, right? <laughs> we love pickup sticks, jacks, cards, <laughs> whatever. Like whatever, whatever. Yeah. And so if we could have games that really opened consciousness and really helped us get comfortable with each other, it could be a great way to be able to, you know, introduce again the concept of ceremony to I, the West. I think that's really important. And even gamifying, there's this new app and technology. It's called the Muse. And it's a portable EEG device that you put on your head that measures your brain waves. Nice. And then it's hooked to an app that gives you biofeedback to when you're in a calm meditative state. So you focus on your breathing and count your breaths or whatever your practice is. And then so when you're calm, you know, by reading the brain waves, the day at the screen gets calm and it's a sunny day and there's birds will start chirping if you do well. And if you're really, really calm, a bird will land on you and it'll sound like you got headphones in. And then when you get distracted, you know, the, the storms will blow in and wind will go. But the whole time, at the end of the day, you get a, a reading of how much time you spent calm, how much time. So you get a point score and how many birds and whatever. And I think this has incredible potential because incredible of gamified, potential. you know, meditation. Sure. Not only is it giving biofeedback, which is really important, but yeah. you're getting points. So it's this addicting thing like, ooh, man. As they brought it out at this place called Summit Series, which is a bunch of entrepreneurs. And it was funny because everybody was going around and everybody was trying to out-meditate each other. And I was like, what was your score? How many birds you get, bro? You know, and even me, like, I knew how silly it was, but I, I had a good session. And I yeah. couldn't help but being a little bit like, 
Oh yeah, uh, one bird, huh? Okay, cool. I got four. <laughs> you know, like, and I would try and stop, like, stop that, Aubrey. That's silly. That's crazy. You can't do that. <laughs> you know, you, you can't be proud about meditating this person. But we're so wired to this competition and game that yeah. that instead of just completely denying that, but helping people with like a little foot in the door and saying, "Hey, let's have some fun with it." I think it's a smart way to do it. Yeah, I think having fun with it's key. Um, if it's not fun, we're not going to do it very long. Right. We we already do enough things in our life that's not fun. Yeah. Right? Like, how many people really like their jobs? Like, really, like, oh man, that's fun. Like, oh, it's so fun every day. Oh, fun. Oh, people hear that. it on it, Hamilton. Oh, my, that is something very true. Uh-huh. I walked around your facility and I have to say, the overall mood and vibe here is pretty special. I might hit you up for a job after this. <laughs> I, might, I might be like, hey, you know, I think I want to stay in Austin. Maybe and, I can and, go to Peru and you can take my job for a while. I'm pretty sure you got we this. We can get on Oprah and do a role reversal <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, we can do switches. <laughs> we'll do this, the switcheroo and see yeah. how it all goes. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in. We'll just swap around. We'll be like, you know how like Dr. Manhattan had other avatars sure. you could work with to like work on different stuff? That would actually be really fun because we could see how after all of this training how the psyche stacks up to like 120 ceremonies you know of <laughs> yeah. in a year yeah. and see how, <laughs> see how it holds beautiful yeah we've watched people you know when they come to train and and this is also for the people i get so many you know emails and stuff and facebooks and things like that about people asking about apprenticeship like if you really want to learn you got to get ready to have your head be in this game because mm-hmm. It's 100, 120 ceremonies of, you know, really hardcore mind bending experiences in a year, year after year after year after year after year. Yeah, I drank ayahuasca for over 10 yeah, I'm years. Out. I'm out. I retract, I retract my desire right? to switch with you. Right? Like we, we can keep we, that. We do, we do that. Like, you know, I have like out there the board with everybody's stats on it. Right? Yeah. Like, like, like that's kind of how it gets, you know, you're like, oh yeah, another 100 ceremonies, another 100 ceremonies, another 100 ceremonies. And so it'd be fun to see how we could... Uh, we could see how we how we withstand that environment, right? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, that it's it's a way to kind of temper the steel, you know, to a certain degree. Absolutely. It's tempering the steel of the psyche. It's putting the sword in, folding it, hammering it. Yeah. And a lot of swords would break in that kind of heat. Um, but yeah. and so generally the idea of what I'm what you do at your center and what the you know, what the good centers do is they give you just enough heat so that the sword doesn't just shatter, enough. you know, just but enough. enough that it'll allow you time to refold and get stronger and, and then come back and and integrate, you know, sure. get that time to and then another turn back in the fire, you know, to get stronger, to get sharper and to be more prepared for your life. Yeah. 24 hours later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At our center, we, you know, in a week, we'll do five ceremonies mm-hmm. and that's a lot. Yeah. That's absolutely a lot. Um, but, you know, I've been working, I, I studied in the traditions and with two, two incredible master shamans that had, you know, long lineages and all this, this, you know, what I consider to be like really blessed experiences. And then I kept looking at ayahuasca and seeing that, that there's this issue of volatility and, and safety and concern around that. And then in my own explorations of consciousness, I started to look at universal expressions. And I developed this methodology called the Blue Morpho Way that sets the space for ayahuasca all in nine universal definitions of human consciousness. And when I first took it there about five, six months ago, to, I de- developed it outside of ayahuasca with the work that I was doing in the States. I wanted to see if ayahuasca would destroy it or if ayahuasca would support it so you set up kind of like a codification a paradigm of sorts that you want yeah to i've protect. codified human consciousness uh-huh. in nine universal definitions okay uh they apply to every single human being at every single moment of life once 
all of the pieces come online. So Mm -hmm. from embryonic stages until sort of what we would consider to be full human capacity, once the, the, once that's formed, I, I, you know, I, within mystical terms, codified it. What I want to do now is turn it into mathematical forms. Mm -hmm. But what it did to ayahuasca was something that I, I, I couldn't even believe the, the results. The ayahuasca completely overlaid to the structure. Mm-hmm. So we set it up in, inside the ceremony. And um, I mean, for those who are like real mystic nerds out there, like, like I am, uh, it's, it's called the medicine world. And it starts if you modeled a universe in numbers of pieces. So it's like, what does the universe look like at one? What does the universe look like at two pieces? What does the universe look like when there's three pieces? What does it look like when there's four pieces? And um, it changed ayahuasca. And I'd never seen anything touch ayahuasca. I mean, shamans, when they're in really, really in ceremony and you have a big group and there's mm-hmm. a lot of purging, 50, 60, 70% of your energy is just going to keep in the room contained, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden, the whole space of ayahuasca completely relaxed. Like ayahuasca relaxed. It was incredible. It was in- So you're actually setting up some kind of code of, some kind of diagram on the ground or? No, no, you- it's, it's, uh, you know, the ayahuasca shamans get very, very good at holding abstract uh, consciousness concepts as right. normal, real states. But I mean, I have written it out on you know paper, mm-hmm. and we've so you're drawn hold, it. You're and holding this energetically, but we hold it energetically, and we hold it you together psychically. With, we share, share it with, with the group. Mm-hmm. We share it with the group, and then we hold it within our own consciousness, and it uh, it awakens a universal state of human consciousness, which doesn't then have to be held. All the comparative states dance in light inside your brain. And so you have to dance with them and you move, you learn in ayahuasca to move really quickly, right? You know, to be able to keep it all together. And there's, cause it's such a vast amount of information, right? And um, this made it all incredibly still and calm. And it allowed the transformation inside ayahuasca to be accelerated. So, you know, mm-hmm. before you're like, okay, uh, you know, ten, it's a common sort of thing people have said, like 10 years of, you know, counseling in one night of ayahuasca like that. Now it can be like 20, 30, 40 years. So it's a magnifier. Magnifier, accelerator of it, but through a a kind of stability and contained expression within the ceremony itself, which allowed for a much greater expression of the movement of consciousness. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you're thinking of ayahuasca as an energy source and that energy is splaying out in all different directions, you know, like a like a bad connection in your in your light socket, you know, where it's sparks are fizzling out and you're this master electrician, like, oh, get, get, come on, we got to get right. you know, get this through there. And you, then you find the right, you know, the right converter there that can just take that energy at that voltage without frying the system and then apply it so that it really transmutes the transformation. I mean, it makes sense theoretically, absolutely. We got to go experience it. <laughs> I'm in. We have to. We have to go experience this. And so, you know, this just happened in the last year. And for me, it was revolutionary. I mean, mm-hmm. super revolutionary to something like the practice of ayahuasca because there had always been this, what I call inside outside concerns, like bad stuff coming in. What do you do with the stuff getting purged? All of that. And the system allowed us a way to work that just neutralized all of those concerns so that the experience can have, you know, naturally much less fear, much less anxiety, much less concern and can be safer and also you know more effective at healing yeah that's interesting you mentioned that because that's one of the issues that i have with a lot of ayahuasca shamanism is the obsessive concern of 
oh, this person's throwing darts and there's this force. And I mean, I, and, and it can get to this point where it's like a video game. Almost. It is like it can play itself out very much like, you yeah. know, only where the, your collateral in the game is your skin. Right. And yeah. then that never really sat that well with me as like, you know, for whatever reason, I knew that there was a better way. You know, I didn't fully ever buy into it completely, although I understand the, the true importance of a sacred space and yeah. having it contained. But it would just get to these proportions where it'd be like, okay, come on now, guys. You know, let's, this is strong medicine. Let's sit in, let's be in a safe, contained space, and let's l- allow the medicine to do its work. Yeah. Don't be so scared of everything coming in. And I think so many people, when they're in that paradigm, they have so much fear because they yeah. think something, oh, this thought that they have, which they just need to purge naturally and relax. They think it's some demon or something that's yeah. attacked them. And and so I think I really like the way that you're describing is like, look, let's set this, you know, set this in motion. And, yeah, and then be done with that be whole done with, side Be done with that whole side. Yeah, you know, that was a real perplexing question to me early on because I came from California and, you know, occult practices, not like on the open radar. You're not hearing about people doing spells and weird things like that all the time. You get down to the Amazon and it's like, hello, this is, this is the part of the culture, you know? Right. And then I, so I started to look at it really kind of from an anthropological background of like, well, why does this exist? And then I got deep into the, the tribal societies. And this is also, you know, not a warning to people, but, but a, a disclaimer, like, Think about the cultures and what the cultures believe in and what the cultural paradigms are of the people that you go take, you know, visionary medicines with, Mm -hmm. because it's where they're coming from, Mm -hmm. right? It's where they're coming from. And the tribal societies that developed ayahuasca practices, and I pay a lot of respect and homage to the ancient traditions, they also didn't understand pathogenic illness. They only thought of psychomagical or mystical illnesses. There is yep. deep competition in, within the tribes. <clears throat> they were they were war based tribes, head hunting tribes, and they developed these you know traditions also with the medicine. So there's a lot of coloring of that of those sure. belief systems into you know the traditional ayahuasca practices. Um, and they're pow- not reflected. And, pow- and power itself. Absolutely. You know, the, the medicine men were some of, if not the most, some of the most powerful people in that tribe. Absolutely. So, and and they power either, is a force. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And they were. I mean, they were either the doctors of the tribe, they were the the tribal leaders, or they're the ones who are giving, you know, advice to the tribal leaders. So mm-hmm. right there, you can already see the balance of power. Taking all of that into consideration, you know, our safety is important, but we need to understand, you know, that we don't need to go down to the Amazon and get caught up in all of that. Yeah. Right. That's not why we're there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I see a lot of people get caught up in all that. I used to be, you know, very cautious with people. I tell them like, be really careful because you don't really know where these people are coming from or, you right. know, they're not coming for the same reasons. Like when I first lived in the Amazon out where I lived, there were na- like full-blooded natives where Spanish was a second language to them. Catch and there were also mestizo shamans. And um, they were the Matzas cat people. They were really interesting people. Mm-hmm. Really interesting people. It's really interesting to know a group of people that do not share the same common law structure as you. Like inside you, when you just sit across the table and look at them, you know they are not being controlled by <laughs> any of the same concepts of law. They're not thinking that way. Yeah, right? a little. You, your <laughs> energy, yeah, you know, you're like a little. Woo. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I remember the, I mean, this is an aside, but it's a story worth telling. I remember when the Peruvian guys, you know, and these are like frontiersmen. Right. They're telling me, be careful with those guys. 
right? <laughs> the frontiersmen guys are like, and I'm already like being careful with the frontiersmen guys, yeah, right? Right, right? They're the ones going, hey, be careful with those guys. Those guys aren't like us, you know. We're like, we're like, chill. Those, <laughs> those are those guys, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, and so I just think that that let's not be scared about all of this stuff. Let's not be concerned about these these questions, but let's also be smart about how we're gonna, gonna you know, think about using this visionary medicine. And there's all this stuff out there about, do you need a shaman? Do you not, not need a shaman? Is there danger? Is there not danger? Is there all of these concerns or not? Let's get really focused on why we're there. We're right. there for medicine. Right. It's the only reason why we're there. Medicine is used to, to learn and also heal. Mm-hmm. So you learn from the medicine and you you also heal with the medicine. And so that's why we're there. And, you know, after dealing with all that stuff for a long time, I wanted I wanted a solution. And so I developed my own solution. I don't want to deal with, you know, angry people all over the world being competitive in psychomagical ways or even physical ways. Like, sure. you know, I yeah, kind of no. realized that that there's a lot more efficiency and peace. <laughs> just a lot more efficient totally and 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 instilling a strong sense of self-reliance you know i mean some if you get so caught up in these outside forces that was you know i gained a lot from working with alberto violda's group when i went down there initially um but you know a criticism i had of of his school of practice and you know he does great things all respect to him for doing what he started but he has a belief in and you can read about in his book shaman healer sage he has a belief system where these energies get stuck in you and you need somebody else to extract them for you right so constantly when i was down there with his group they were in constant need of help i mean we'd be in ayahuasca ceremony and it'd be like like popcorn popping up like ah help me maestro 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 help me help me because in their mind they had instilled the belief system that things get stuck that they can't remove themselves that they need somebody else to extract you know and just that belief system it it shook their own self-reliance and their ability to really transform with the medicine, you know, because their belief system made that in effect true. Oh, Whereas absolutely. if they rewound that belief system and said, no, you know, I'm going to be fine. I'm a being made of light. I'm a being made of light, made of diamonds. What's going to hurt me? You know, I'm right. invincible. I'm in the house of my father's source. You know, I'm an invincible being in existence for a blink of a time. What's going to hurt me? You have that attitude in there, and then you allow nothing's going to stick. (laughs) You're a Teflon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, (laughs) and that's what's so important. And even I've seen this over and over again. Like people will get afraid of these other external forces. Where I know that you know, look at yourself as this being of light that's invincible, and you are. You are that thing, and you can go through these things absolutely that way. And I think it's important to you know. To not get caught up in that other paradigm where you just you're giving away your own protection and self-reliance yeah i mean what we do at our center now and uh part of the blue morpho way and our medicine world work is to understand that the universe as a whole represents all of it like literally all of it all of it at once not differentiated and that undifferentiated point we call love we call mm-hmm. it like this sublime grace that is you know completely supportive and completely guiding and then we say, check out your body. Your body's made up of it. And then check out your mind. Your mind's made up of it. And then right. check out your feelings. Your feelings are made up of it. And check out your imagination. Your imagination's made up of it. So sure, we can encounter all of these different kinds of beings and all of these different mind forms and projections and, you know, it, incredible dimensions and, you know, honeycombing universes and filled just teeming with life and spirit and all this stuff. And always remember that when you're there, 
If you need to release something, if you need to purge something, you need to let something go, remember the love right there and just hand it over right there. Don't yeah. try and find it somewhere else. If you find it in your knee, that's where the healing medicine and love already is. So just connect the two and then it's gone. And, yeah. you know, we teach people how to do that themselves so that they can be self-reliant, so that they're not yeah. relying on us. I think that's incredibly important. So what is it about DMT in particular, you know, because I'm sure you've had, we haven't talked about it, but I'm sure you've had experience with a lot of plant medicines. There's another little axe, another bridge that's built that DMT creates. It's a little bit different than everything else. You know, the other things can get you to some amazing places, but there's something about that particular molecule that allows a certain type of access that's unique. But, you know, we think of that that molecule as the light switch. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, imagine if you could flick a light switch to the entirety of your consciousness and at the same time, talking about that bridge, recognize your own consciousness as the bridge, as the bridge, like a true nexus, a coming together of the entire universe coalesced in your own being and that there's no separation at all and you can flick a light switch through that and see the entirety of your energetic makeup that your consciousness could and your mind could fully comprehend your atomic makeup it could fully comprehend your molecular makeup it could fully comprehend your cellular makeup it could fully comprehend every single uh, synapse path through the brain and that you yourself could rewire your brain from all the different problems that you're having you know to otherwise and clearly the the molecule of dmt is is purposeful in that it's purposeful in that you know auto produced by the body itself so yeah. so i think that that molecule is is it is a, a molecule that's directly related to human consciousness and the turning on of light in human consciousness and there's so much fear around all this stuff in the world like i just don't see the need for there to be so much fear but i also see the need for there to be a tremendous amount of responsibility in the exploration of these chemicals sure. and like how we can use them to to really better ourselves and better humanity but i just see the the molecule as uh a capacity to really not only you know re awaken the whole brain to work together it also then lets you kind of find that place of of nexus that center point within you that then allows you to to see the light of the whole universe and then navigate it you know, mm -hmm. and to be able to see that your body's made up of that exact same energy and your mind's that your mind's made up of and that your big toes made up of the same stuff as your thoughts, you know, and and getting that real holistic view on on what we are, you yeah. know, and, and being able to experience it, not just have it be scientific theory, but really be able to experience our own scientific theory. Well, you end theory. up feeling it a lot of times before you can even verbalize it. Yeah. Like the vocabulary, like, ah, I don't know, but I felt this thing. Yeah. And then as you talk about it and kind of think about it more. But a lot of times our words simply fail because words are tied to ideas that you can, you know, that make sense clearly, you know? Yeah, you know, language is a, is a fascinating tool in its own right if you think about a, a being having language because it's entirely symbolic. Mm -hmm. You know, you're taking something entirely etheric, which is a concept, and now you're going to give a grouping of symbols meaning and then you're going to, combine those symbols into a new symbol that has new meaning made up of those symbols itself. So if you keep digging at it, you keep pulling the thread and take it into eye, anybody who wants to really play with this one, you're never going to get anywhere. Like yeah. you're going to keep pulling and you're going to get another symbol and another symbol and another symbol. And um, 
you know, and so I look at that as, as being one really finite expression of how human beings perceive, think and express. And that if we look at, you know, the origin, like the epicenter or the origin of these incredible experiences we have, why not have them come through feeling first or come through a hunch or come through intuition or come through the body or come through know? or come through or, vision, you know, or I mean, vision. Yeah, these visual. It's almost like information in its raw form. It's it coming and it's splashing against this field that ignites them into all of these colors in this kaleidoscope. But this so raw information hits this force field of existence, of physicality, and it pew, hits our brain and we get these visions and these colors and things. And then we have to tr then retranslate that back into symbols so that our brain so can process can it, it yeah. you know it's a really remarkable thing and some puzzles will always remain these this information that hits our perception and we get it and we go well i got i got nothing on that one yeah. but i understood this one you know that's yeah, what yeah. made sense no and i loved it we would have people on every group that would come down and for people who've seen the ayahuasca art it's these tremendously in intricate patterns and often very colored and stuff like that and um, you have some here in the, yeah. in the studio. And um, some people would come from it and be like, all I saw were, were colors and patterns. And other people would be like, oh, my God, I saw divine architecture. I saw uh, yeah. the fabric of space time. And for me, those all those colors and patterns, just like you're saying, are information. Yeah. Right. They actually are information. And if you spend enough time in there, you can learn to read them. Yeah. You, you can learn to speak that language. And that's what the language of Ikaro is. Mm -hmm. You know, the language of Ikaro is is a system of sacred communication between the plant energies and the human energies through that membrane of these shapes, colors, and patterns that allow a pure communication that doesn't have to then be translated. And mm -hmm. it's a vibratory language instead of symbolic. Is does, is it going to be, would it be valuable to, you know, put this all down in a book, like the world according to ayahuasca, which is really actually the, the world according to truth but but would it be valuable or is it just something that you know what let's just let everybody go down there see it feel it for themselves because i often wonder if if that makes sense if that would be helpful or if that wouldn't be helpful well we could contact the author of the for dummies series and, <laughs> <laughs> you know? send them send them through a hundred days of ceremony and see. i don't know you know you know it, it in all fairness to it, um, there's a certain amount of theory that I think is valuable, and mm -hmm. I think it's very limited. Yeah. And I think beyond that, it really does require the personal experience. I think that there's room to be able to translate the experiences and transliterate them into a, an expression of knowledge um, that could be very beneficial to people outside of the use of the plants themselves. So if we took it one step further, very similar to what you guys are doing here, you know, in terms of concept, yeah, right? Like the combination of these pieces allows a human being to now experience something so much greater for themselves in their own life, right? Yeah. So if we could take the knowledge, utilize the knowledge in a new way, in a new form of packaging or a new, a new presentation for people, I think that has a tremendous amount of merit. And that's something that I'm already working on. Great. But um, the, the idea of just you know you can talk about it forever and try to understand it forever but we really are babies in that world and we need to take our first steps so what are the first steps before you know besides heading down and you know booking a trip to peru and, and having this like what are what in your mind are the modalities that you recommend for people to start taking these baby steps 
Like if they're going to go down or, or well, just in general just in to general. access, access greater consciousness, to access greater consciousness. Um, that's a really, really good question. I think if I had to like simplify it the most, it would be turn to the universe, mm-hmm. turn to the whole universe at once. Just turn to it. Like you've been turned to inside your brain and inside your feelings and inside your thoughts and inside your theories and inside what's going on on your phone and turn to the whole universe at once and then just say, I'm here. Yeah. I'm ready. Just, I'm ready. Let's okay. We've done it. We've done enough of, you know, micro, mm-hmm. micro, micro, cut off, cut off, cut off. Just come to that moment in your life where you turn to the universe and say, you know, I'm ready. And now let's be gentle because this is the whole universe, yeah. right? This is my whole life we're talking about. We're not mm-hmm. talking about just an aspect of it or anything. Let's start there. Let's start with that, that <coughs> rebirth moment where, you know, when, when you came out of the womb onto earth, it was a brand new world. You know, and we've explored that world and explored it and explored it and explored it and explored it. And we've come to a point where we've amassed an understanding of significant limitation. Right. And it's like that's pushing us. It's fueling us. It's a propellant to go beyond those limitations and find answers and be creative. And so so we know empirically that the universe is all there is. You know, so let's turn to that all there is once and say, okay, I'm ready now let's go. It's, it's, it's real. Yeah. Now it's time for it to be real. And I think we can drop, you know, in huge numbers of people very, very quickly, a lot of the childish sort of BS running around through the entire spiritual worlds and psychedelic worlds and everything else, just mm-hmm. with that one move. Cause it's very real. Cause you know it, you're like, uh Oh, mm-hmm. I just did something. I can't change from that point. I think the very first lesson we have to learn is patience. Everything comes to everybody in its own due time, especially once you're open. We need patience because people are like, no, I want it right now. And it's like, you're not ready right now. Mm-hmm. This game plays at a level of, of intricacy and synchronicity that would blow people's minds. People are like thinking like, oh, that was synchronistic. It's like, no, every nanosecond is synchronistic. Right? There is not one movement on the planet happening right now that's not connected to your movement. So move your hand in front of your eyes and look at that movement and understand that every car driving on the planet right now is moving at exactly the same time. Understand that every human being hangs 10 on the now. People are like searching for the now. Dude, we live the now. No one has ever lived in the past or the future. It is a one-time expression of consciousness. We are already right there. We're not thinking it. We're not knowing it. We're not connected to it. It's not in our consciousness. We've We've, you know, put up a, a what yeah. I think of as an aberration of, of light in our vision to not see how the fact that we're already right there. All and, of the consciousness, all of the healing, all of the love, all of the happiness, all of the fulfillment, we have it already. It's already, including one already. single ancestry, including, you know, one human history, including every movement that every human being has ever made. Like, I like mm-hmm. to think of these things, like I think <laughs> of like spreadsheets and I think of like Excel files and I think of every category of human expression and i see that there is a ticker ongoing of every footstep that a human being has ever stepped on the planet and it's just increasing and every breath everybody's ever taken and every thought collectively we've ever had and that's part of the magic of it that is the magic we have these special tongues to drink this special coffee and this special delicious shake that i'm drinking absolutely that no other planet no other time could ever 
experience exactly quite that. There's not going to be an environment to produce that. And that's that's why there's existence. Why, I mean, why is there all this? It's for all these experiences. It's for all of the experiences. For the whole gamut of all of it. Yeah. And I think life's a miracle. It's like, we don't really know how we got here. I mean, mm-hmm. these, are, these are the things that I really look for. I think like, let's start with what we really know and what we really don't know. One of the things we really don't know is how we really got here. Another thing we really don't know is how long we'll be here. And another thing we really don't know is how the universe was created. And another thing we really don't know is how long the universe will exist. Let's just start there. That book ended yeah. the entirety <laughs> of our experience. Now we have a container to hold it all. Let's explore, right? Yeah. Let's get fired up on the exploration and see what we can do. Because I think we've tapped less than 1% of human potential. I think everything that is this magnificent existence we have right now is less than 1% of what we can do. And the next evolution is going to be in consciousness. And we're going to see that we're a bridge, literally a living bridge of dimension Mm. and that we can extend. And so many of us already know this, that we can tap all of these different dimensions that have all of these different technologies and understandings in them and these incredible capacities to explain and understand and build and grow. And we can really answer a lot of the problems that humanity is facing on the planet right now. I think I think you're absolutely right. But I also think we shouldn't discredit the stage that we're in because the stage that we're in is also a unique and beautiful stage. Sure. We reach these states of higher consciousness. Some parts of the spectrum are going to go away. These, these things that we, we get to do now will become too much like that controlled folly that the Toltecs talk about. It'll just become a little too silly to really fully engage in them and enjoy them the way that we do. I mean, right now we have a full emotional spectrum, yeah. you know, of these, of everything from deep sorrow to deep bliss to, and I know that consciousness will bring, yield amazing gifts and general ease of suffering and be a, a probably overall a more enjoyable state, but Let's enjoy this one too because it's wild and fucking crazy and we get to do stuff that at this higher level of consciousness, it won't exactly ever be like this again. You Definitely know? won't be like this again. But I think that, you know, I've started to, to reverse the, my direction of understanding and that I thought of higher consciousness as up and out and expansion in that direction. And I really see it as an expansion inward. And I don't see any reason why we can't keep all that stuff. I think we can literally have both. We can have all the fun, all the joy, all the sorrow, all the experience and a container that holds it in a way that we don't have to get super freaky about it. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to translate to that. like, like, you know, putting holes through people and spilling blood over the fact that like we feel really bad that day. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Like, so I think that, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I don't really ascribe to the, the system of thought that, that we lose our humanity by, by, reaching higher states of consciousness. I think that we become much more human reaching higher states of consciousness because human already is this this incredible love within us that is a medicine for everything, a tremendous amount of knowledge and wisdom and the physicality. Mm. And so I only see that in the merging of all of those pieces into a cohesive expression of what we already have is what allows the the opening of the the doorways. And that's something I always loved about ayahuasca work is that there's no room for sanctimosity in it because when you're face deep in a puke bucket and that puke bucket bottom goes for eternity (laughs) and you see that you're puking straight through hundreds of dimensions Uh and they're all rainbow light it gives you a whole new perspective but you're still you're still in the bucket though right like you know that your jaws have unhinged and the, the great universe is pouring out of you right into that bucket but you're still vomiting right yeah so it's it's 
I mean, do you, but do you think like I'm I'm with you 100 mm-hmm. percent, and I'm plowing full steam ahead, no regrets, nothing, yeah. nothing in my rear view. But do you think like Fifty Shades of Grey exists in higher consciousness? Like, does kinky sex exist in a higher consciousness? I mean, I think we'll probably do away with some of these things that are kind of interesting now that are just going to be like. I can't, you know, spanking you is not going to really, it's not going to really feel think, good anymore, Hamilton. We're going to lose a little something. I think we might lose a little something along the way. That's fair. And, you know, yeah. I think that, uh, why not? Why yeah, not? It's and, okay. I mean, oh, man, it's why a not enjoy huge it win. now? But I mean, don't, don't we really think though that where we are now unconsciously drop all the high and mighty wherever, where we are right now are like micro steps learning to deal with the human psyche. Yeah. Right. It's like micro steps. I think we can enjoy all of those micro steps at sure. the same time. You know, I think that there's uh, some some situations happening collectively that doesn't allow people to enjoy some of those micro steps and massive, we can support massive. it. Yeah, massive. We, we need to we can happen. support that. Right. Mm-hmm. We can definitely support that. So individually, definitely, you know, I don't see any reason why pleasure can't be part of the whole experience. It, ha- it has to be. It has to be. And it will be. It has for to sure. be. But, you know, also in the greater collectives, you know, maybe it would be okay for everybody to get to eat, right? (laughs) Like, just put it out there. Like, maybe it would be okay. Like, is it possible that it would be okay that, and not not to take away the experiences of hunger, right? Like, that has purpose too and everything. And Buddha walking through fields of lepers have purpose and everything like that. And it all has purpose just the way that it is. And you can say that it's all uniquely perfect in every single moment. And it's also uniquely changing in every moment. And... You know, I think that we need to get away, though, from that mindset that we get to pre-create what it's going to look like. Yeah. Right. You don't get to pre-create what it's going to get to look like. You're always standing on the precipice of the unknown. And it's the openness and the receptivity and the the love that we can bring to it or the higher state of consciousness we can bring to it that starts to give it a direction. One of the things that the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause is we've been living largely unconsciously for so long. And procreating largely unconsciously for so long that our population growth has been really unconsciously played out on a global level is there is there any you know concern in your mind that we might have you know we might be a little bit too far behind the eight ball and that these forces are just going to keep playing out and there's going to be just too many people for the resources too much mass unconsciousness to make the shift that there's just the sheer abundance of humans that are out there are going to be too hard to, to you know, to change and and reach that higher state. I would have said yes years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I wouldn't. There's one aspect to this whole game that we never really give a lot of voice to, which is human ingenuity. And um, I would like to see an evolution of the way we operate collectively. And I think if we become more philanthropic in our nature and to realize that the real efficiency of that philanthropy, really looking out for each other, really does create a capacity to to have a, a more efficient model that the use of our resource and the use of technology and everything could sustain a much larger population than we think of. Um, the other thing I always think, too, especially if we look at history, is don't count Earth out. We need to make friends with Earth real fast. Oh yeah, real fast because Earth a common, resets that's the a common, clock that's a everywhere, theme, right? Common Earth theme resets the clock, yeah. and so let's make friends with Earth, right? And and I think the very first step to do that is to recognize that there is literally no separation between your physical body and Earth. You're made of Earth. You die as Earth, <laughs> and 
you're connected to it the whole time, even when you're flying in an airplane. And I like to think of outer space because when you're inside space and on Earth, it's a little harder to like get the full perspective because the the vision becomes really fragmented. But when you're like, if you think of like an astronaut looking at space and then you think of the amount of actual space in total outer space that's you know habitable for inhabitable for people it's this tiny little like orange peel it's like tiny right it's really 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 tiny and you know we need to make friends with that we need to make really good friends with that that's a it's a really important point that you made and you know everybody knows the law that matter cannot be created or destroyed from nothing well so far for now you know maybe there's some other rules there but in general as far as the physical laws that's the truth and then, but people think about growing. Okay, we grow bigger. We got add more cells to our body, add more matter. Well, where does that come from? Well, that comes from us eating stuff. Right. Okay. And then where does the stuff that we eat, where does that come from? Well, that comes from generally, it all goes back to plants. At some point, something we're eating eat, ate some plants, you know, on down the food chain. Yeah. All right. Now, where, the, where are the plants getting their cells from? Oh, the plants are getting their cells from the soil and the water that's coming from. Oh, yeah. So really, at the bottom, we are actually literally made of Earth. We literally, are literally. walking Earth. You're walking Earth. Absolutely. You know, and, and we think of, oh, there's people and then there's Earth. And no. then there's animals and then there's blah, blah, blah. No, we're all fucking Earth. We need, we need to start thinking collectively. At, at like the most primal level, we're Earth. and we're big enough now at seven eight billion whatever the population is and i don't know how we even keep track because babies are coming everywhere right so (laughs) so like i see babies everywhere so it's like there's just a whole lot more of us cruising right on the flight here there were babies like there's babies everywhere so like that is enough of one collective like one huge collective of a species to to need to understand that we're earth yeah you know not separate from earth anymore and but that's where I go to like the, the evolution of human ingenuity and consciousness because we don't know what it could really look like. We only know what this evolution of consciousness over the last, you know, five, six, seven thousand years looks like. It's sort of birth of, of the beginning stages of a greater collective in modern civilization and then, you know, the expansion and expression of that globally. You know, we come to understand that we're Earth. We come to understand that we have a balanced relationship with Earth. We start to revere Earth and we start to revere our bodies as part of Earth. And we start to to really, you know, come into balance with um, a more collective global expression. I think that can balance itself. I don't see any reason why it can't balance itself. You know, one thing that that is clear, <clears throat> really, really clear to me, like really clear, is that human behavior is programmed mm. from babies. Babies have no idea what they're doing in terms of like how to be an adult human being. And so we have tremendous latitude to be able to change the shape and nature of how we we work. The the Toltecs call that the mitote, the dream of the world that shapes us into what we believe is right or wrong. Yeah, and then we think we're that thing, right? Because we've been thinged. We've had enough thing thrown at us that we have become thinged instead of this, you you know, sort of mercurial expression of a being on earth. That real identification with human being as your consciousness expands gets diluted in certain ways. And you start to really feel like you're part of the earth and you start to really feel like you're part of the universe. And you start to really feel like your body is a system that is in balance and harmony with the different rhythms. And that you know, if, if we had that merging of sort of modern knowledge and ancient knowledge and understanding and balance together, I think you could see tremendous growth economically i think you could see tremendous growth 
in terms of social stability. I think we can see a tremendous reduction in crime and you know, a greater allocation of resources. It's hard to do crime when you're realizing you're perpetrating crime on yourself. It's a lot harder. And it's a lot harder. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot less, lots less fun to steal from another version of you. Yeah, and, and I've lived in places where there's a tremendous amount of crime in the form of theft and stuff like that. And it really is comparative competition, poverty driven. Yeah, scarcity thing. Scarcity. It's scarcity and, and I'm going to get me mine and it's scarcity and then more scarcity and more scarcity. I think, you know, again... There's a lot more efficiency, a lot more efficiency. And if we look at resource use, if it's all about efficiency. Yeah. Right. You know that here with on it. It's all about efficiency. And so if we can reduce the amount of loss and we can reduce the amount of redundancy and we can reduce the amount of friction, you're going to gain a tremendous amount of growth. We don't know ultimately what the potential of that would be. But that's what the like if, if I channel the earth, that's what the earth tells me. Like I spend a lot of time like hanging with Earth. Yeah, likewise. you know, and the Earth, Earth, the Earth always tells me, the Earth consistently in a variety of different medicines says the same thing. It said, Aubrey, focus on consciousness. I'll take care of the rest. Correct. That's how I see it too. And I, I think that you know, with the work that I'm doing around consciousness now and the expansion that we're going to make this year in the Blue Morpho Foundation, we're going to be able to start to actually scientifically and empirically prove these things that we're talking about. One of the things that has always called me to my highest service has been the plant medicine journeys that I've been on. It's been something that's shown me a little piece more of who I am. And when I understand who I am and what I can be, that I understand that I am one who is meant to be of service. And part of that great service is to just figure out what I am capable of. That's one of the best things we can do is figure out what you're capable of, be a true witness to your own potential so that others can witness you achieving your potential and then you can witness them in their potential and that's going to be one of the tenets of what we're working on on the fit for service mastermind and i've been talking about this a lot and i'm going to keep talking about it because it's one of the things that i'm most excited about is bringing a fellowship of brothers and sisters and people together to be that witness of themselves, be that witness of each other, be that witness of society at large, figure out who we are, what we're capable of, and in doing so, be of the greatest service possible to ourselves, the ones we love in the world. So definitely check that out if you haven't yet. AubreyMarcus.com slash fit for service. So we're going to keep this podcast going with Hamilton Souther, the founder of Blue Morpho. If you're listening to this in 2018 or the start of 2019, I think he's actually down there right now at Blue Morpho. So feel free to reach out to him. And I hope you guys enjoy the next part of this podcast and really drop in to the meditation that he provides, which is one of the most powerful pieces and powerful tools that I've been able to add to my own repertoire of meditative and plant medicine preparation skills.
We are here with Hamilton Souther, and again, going to go deep down the rabbit hole um, and explore a lot of things. And as I've gotten to get to know you a little bit better, um, really, you've been something of a disruptive technology in the ayahuasca shaman field. And that's really what I've kind of learned about you is you've initially started down the path and then realized, okay, you know, what are these things that could be improved? What are these things could be optimized? Which way do I want to go and take this? So I'd love to kind of jump into your story a little bit and, uh, and kind of set that groundwork before we get into uh, the gem that we're going to drop on everybody here at the end. <laughs> Holy shit, get ready, people. <laughs> okay, um, when I started drinking ayahuasca, first it was not a fat or a thing. It was uh, strictly a traditional healing practice in the Amazon. And um, I was really blessed, like truly blessed to be able to work with two elder master shamans. Well, tell us how you, I mean, you came to them through some visions. That you I did had, come right? to them through some visions and through some hardship. And I think that, you know, for anybody out there who's on the path, that aspect of it needs to be spoken about that. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just smooth, right? Like it's right. A, there's a little friction along the way, but yeah, I, I ended up with these two, two great elders. Um, basically, they had had visions that I was going to come before I ever came, but they never let me know that. So they were always leaving me on the precipice of doubt. Mm -hmm. And um, I had gotten into some some hairy situations in the Amazon my first year down there, some falciferous malaria, and that's probably the closest I've ever come to physically dying. And some, you know, not such great shamans of good intention because I was very naive about the whole thing. So I had to do a little dabble and. And that kind of, you know, right. frosting. <laughs> you can't, yeah. get into you can't just drop yourself in the middle of the jungle as a gringo and hope that it's going to work right the yeah, very I mean, first time out. You may be a little bit of the mouse in the cage with the snake at first, yeah. right? Maybe yeah. just a little bit like that. And, um, and so I worked through all of that and I finally got to Alberto. And I first went to Alberto for healing because I had, you know, gotten involved in some stuff that needed to be healed, right? Mm -hmm. I was not well at that point. And then from... From working with Alberto, I got to know Julio, but Julio had actually denied me apprenticeship my first year. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm too old. You know, it's like it took me too long to get there. And so he was already in his mid to late 80s. And the rigors of taking on an apprentice takes a lot out of you when you're the master shaman guiding. You know, it's like having a new child, yeah. you know, and it's an adult child who doesn't know anything. And in my case, like knew nothing. I did not know how to canoe. I did not know how to like just even walk in the And forest. like a child, you'd be shitting and vomiting yourself constantly. The whole time. I mean, constantly, <laughs> right? And these guys' teaching methods were like, drink this and we're not going to tell you anything about it. Uh -huh. You know, so I, I met I, old school, old school. I mean, this was this was old school. We can get to that in just a second. But I uh, I walked by I was walking by Julio's house, which was 400 yards from my house. This is just a footpath. We're, I mean, imagine, dude, there is nothing out there. There is other than forest. It's virgin Amazon forest with, you know, 40, 50 people living on hundreds of miles. And that's it of, mm -hmm. of jungle. And so I was walking by his house and I heard him screaming. And I so I run in, run up into his house like little palm bark floor like tiny little you know hut in the middle of the jungle and i see him there with his leg super swollen so i started doing chupada healings where you like suck out the the bad stuff and blood's filling my mouth and i'm spitting it out and the skin's unbroken this is like right out of twilight zone mysticism whoa four in the wait, afternoon wait, how, how much time have you been down in the jungle uh like formally formally literally like a at that point a year but I had only been training sort of kind of with ayahuasca for maybe a couple months. Wow. Yeah. No, I mean, I was 
seat of the pants, having no idea what I was doing, but Julio's going down. Alberto's five days in the forest. There's no way to get to him. Someone's got to Someone's got to do something. <laughs> and so I'm just like, give me your potions, give me your mapacho, and let's do this. And so, so I, I did that healing on him for uh, four days and healed him. Uh-huh. And so at that, we had this very Yoda moment because he was just like Yoda. I mean, he had the big pointy ears and everything, right? Yeah. Like all shrunk down, his little mapacho, you yeah, know, it's speaking yeah. sentence fragments and stuff, but <laughs> deep wisdom in everything that he said. Right. And so, and he just said to me that, that the medicine was strong in me. And what did I, what did he owe me, right? For like, now for everything he says, I hear in Yoda voice. It's how it is. But strong that's how, in me, the medicine strong was. Strong in me, the medicine was. <laughs> yeah. And so he, <laughs> Oh, man, if he spoke, you listened, because if yeah. not that night in, in ceremony, you know, when he when he would literally shapeshift into having a jaguar head and a human body and you would look at him and be like, yeah, that's impossible, but that's real. You know, you'd listen yeah. you, when, when like stern grandfather has a jaguar head on, you listen yeah. right? <laughs> for real. So I told him I didn't want I didn't want good advice. Good advice. Good advice, good advice. Hamilton. Anybody has a jaguar head on. Listen, listen, just, just, listen even if it's not stern grandfather, if they got a jaguar head on. Yeah. I mean, you don't li- fuck with them. You listen. Yeah, there's <laughs> no doubt. There's no. And I don't mean like put on a a like <laughs> like a dead jaguar that they killed in the forest head. I mean, no, like he no. shape shifted his head so that if you were sober or not and you looked at him you would see a jaguar head on a human man i mean this is like as deep (laughs) as this mystic guy was in the forest and so i told him i wasn't interested in payment what i wanted was to be trained right so i wanted to be one of them right Mm -hmm. i was like i want to be one of you and alberto and right when i said that alberto walks out of the forest like this is like on cue it's like would have been in a movie but yeah he literally walked out of the forest like julio what's wrong he runs up he checks julio He's like, I dreamt you five nights ago that you had gotten sick and that I rushed back because he was out on this hunting trip. And and he and Julio looks at him and goes, like, like the white guy healed me, right? Like, and so they never told me, but um they had a meeting that day. I only found out when they filmed a documentary about us and Alberto oh, wow. told the story. They never told me anything. They they had a meeting and they agreed to train me. You know, and so that's like when formal, like formal apprenticeship training started. Yeah. That's <clears throat> So you said some things in there that people are going to be like, what is he talking about? You were sucking blood out of his leg that there was an unbroken skin. Yeah. And his head was transforming into a jaguar. Yeah. So clearly the paradigm that you were operating under is a little bit different than the paradigm that most people account as as real. But for you, that's you were there. You I was there. And, and, and I want to you know, really emphasize that I was in a lot of fear and doubt. Yeah. I was not a believer. <laughs> Okay, I had not, you know, drunk the Kool-Aid and was believing this. I was trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't real. I was stuck in a paradigm of real and unreal because I was hanging out with people that would say things in a stone cold straight face, just like I did, that blew my mind. <laughs> and I could not fathom that as being part of normal, ordinary reality. Like every time they said goodbye to each other in the forest, they said, call me if you need me. And I know for a fact, neither had used a telephone. So how could two guys be saying, we're going to like, you know, part, call me if you need me until they, you know, they taught me those, those arts. And I mean, it is right out of the twilight zone. This is how they, you want to know how they do it? Yeah. You want to know how they check it out? Okay. There's a kind of spirit in the forest that whistles. Uh It has a very distinct whistle. So they send that spirit to go find the spirit of the shaman, wherever the shaman is in the astral planes. Okay. That, those, that consciousness link is to the physical body. So that spirit goes and finds them, 
and then whistles a ringtone, just like on your iPhone or on your, your Galaxy or whatever, to make the shaman aware of, oh, check in to see who's calling. And then in their vision, then they link. Once they've gotten the shaman's attention with the spirit that literally whistles. It's just an astral telephone. It's exactly what it is. It's the exact <laughs> no same problem. technology, right? Yeah. And which is why they use the exact same words. And I know it seems like unbelievable, right? There's impossible that this could, could actually be happening. But if you read anthropological texts, the anthropologists who studied tribal peoples from around the world have story after story after story after story of these incredibly psychomagical, mystical experiences happening as normal. And so what I think's happened is that the development of the Western mind and Western educational systems have trained the brain and trained the mind and trained the identification away from these skills. But it's not that that human beings don't inherently possess mm -hmm. these capacities. I think we do. They're just lying dormant. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that. And what I think one thing we talked about yesterday is one of the things that I think needs to happen is these people with these skills need to be brought out and shown you know these things need to be shown to the world to open up the mind's capacity for believing that these things are even possible you know like right now you can listen to any skeptic who'll you know stone cold refute every instance of paranormal mystical you know any of these kind of instances and i think if we could at least shake that foundation a little bit and say, hey, there's other stuff out there. It's not that there's no science to explain it. It's just we haven't been looking in the right spot yet. You know, yeah. and I know that's a definitely a big part of your your overall mission. But the more that we could do that and just say, hey, open your mind to more possibilities, even if we don't know the empirical Newtonian cause and effect way that this works yet because our minds are too small you know like like somebody who can't see wi-fi because they don't have a fucking wi-fi detector it's yeah. there you yeah know? yeah so. let's give it give it time i mean let's just make a call out to everybody who hears the podcast if you know of these things and you're interested in participating <laughs> write us and yeah. Yeah. let's start to to put together a think tank and a coalition of people who want to prove this stuff and you know with with no bias like that's, that's where i am with it i've i've proven this stuff to myself over 14 years i've seen miraculous healing take place at our center every week for 14 years i don't need to prove this anymore there are skeptics out there and you know an opinion is simple in this world it's just really simple to have an opinion and it's really simple to sell an opinion and it's really hard to do something <laughs> it's really hard to organize and build something and right. make something that really helps people and negative opinions that just shut down the possibility of something greater in life doesn't do anything to help humanity no nope. and so i just say like you know your time's numbered that's it like <laughs> like people are are organizing to show with real scientific bias that there's something to all of these different forms of healing and transformation no doubt about it all right so let's fast forward a little bit all right you get to a point you were explaining to me yesterday 500 500 ayahuasca sessions played it by the book stuck with yeah, tradition and then sure. after that you started to take a look and say hmm yeah okay so you get deep into the tradition and you start drinking ayahuasca and you're in these dietas. And so this is like training for the people who aren't familiar. This is like hardcore shamanism training, just like if you're at med school and then residency and you're going to be a doctor or a surgeon or something like that. This is for the, the Amazonian people, really, really intense. And um, I started to really look at their culture like an anthropologist, right? Like I was studying it as I was learning it, as I was living it, I was studying it. And I started to see some 
things that I would consider to be issues, you know, just fair enough. Like I love the medicine. I love the culture. I pay homage to it all the time. But I also saw there's some issues. There's tremendous amount of conflict. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of this idea of battle. There's this tremendous amount of sort of like real, real core tribal, you know, nature and vibe and mythology to it. And, um, I, 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 and I saw that the greatest growth to people interested in this were Westerners. Mm. And I thought, okay, if you want to really understand the tradition, you have to study the tradition. You have to understand the mythology. You have to understand the collective terms. You have to understand, uh, you know, where the, the people are, are coming from. And you have to learn their psyche. Like when I first got down there with these guys, even though we could speak the same language, I couldn't understand them. Yeah, I literally couldn't understand them because the way that they formulated thought and then used language to try to express that thought was so foreign to me. And it was already outside my paradigm of reality. I had no idea at first what they were talking about. So you put all of that through, you know, about 500 ayahuasca ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And I had already by that point gained the sort of the rank of considered maestro and I was practicing on my own and all of that. And I started to want to address some of those issues, see if if that really is the way that it is, or or maybe that's a cultural component, mm. you know. And so I started to explore beyond solely the the traditional ways of practice in conjunction with Westerners coming looking for healing for you know their problems. And um, I realized that there were a lot of different ways that we could start to take this medicine form, not lose the essence of the tradition, but start to enhance it and build upon it and allow it to grow and evolve. And at first there was trepidation, like, you know, are you going to get the cosmic smackdown for doing this? <laughs> right, like, right, who right. are you, big boy, to be like yeah. taking this medicine in that direction? And, um, you know, it was the same answer that I always had through apprenticeship, which is like, well, this is just what I'm doing. So. You know, if it's not okay, I'll know. And if it's okay, it'll all work out. And yeah. And for me, it it represented as as something that not only was okay, but expansive. You know, we had even better results. We had, uh, you know, healings that before in the other modalities wouldn't have even been possible. Yeah. One story you shared, which I'd love for you to share again, is you were talking about dieting the plants one at a time. And at sure. a certain point... You know, that requires an immense amount of time to diet these plants one at a time. And at a certain point, you're like, ah, maybe we can do this a little differently. Tell that story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, I was already thinking that because dieta, <laughs> dieta is, you know, really, first of all, it's incredibly strict, right? Right. And, um, and so, yeah, we, I mean, you hear this, this idea in the traditions that, you know, you're supposed to diet one plant at a time. You know, maybe two, maybe maximum three, but oh, by there, the jealousy of the spirits is a big issue. And they're all called reseloso and celoso. And they have this, all this whole concept that they're not, not like getting along. And my sort of rational scientific mind could not handle that because I'm sitting there going like, okay, wait a second. Like, it's enough for me to think that like I'm putting tree spirits in my body. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, you already I, got me that far. I, I, I okay. But now they're like angry with each other and stuff. I'm like, wait, no, no. This is what I deal with like in normal everyday right. life. This is like high school. Like yeah. I'm not going back to spirit high school, you know, with all of these spirits in yeah. me. And, and so I tried to understand what was really being said. And then I came to, to finally understand that the they're talking about different kinds of energies or different kinds of spirits within the plants, not all of them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, I'm not interested in those guys anyway. I'm here for medicine. I'm here for, you know, Ikaro medicine and divine knowledge and learning. And so I figured they would all be able to get along. And so I asked Alberto, I said, like, you know, can, can I diet all the plants? And his response to can was always, of course you can. <laughs> but, but you got to be up for whatever happens. Right, I mean, right. You got to be up. So he said, you know. Can and should. Can, are two totally different things. In right. their world, it's very literal. You yeah. Know? 
And so um, he said, yeah, you can, but you'll go crazy. And he said, so, you know, promise me you won't do anything stupid when you're crazy. And so I started to diet, you know, eight plants, 10 plants, 14, 16, 18, 20, 28 at a time. And what I found was that when you go into that process, each plant spirit makes like a holographic version of you. And so it's training you, you know, 28 different versions of you at the same time. And uh, you definitely feel like you're a little wonky in the head because you got <laughs> you have 28 minds, right? right? Like normally we're used to having one mind, but imagine now having 28 minds, like 28 computers all linked, all learning, you know, something at, different at the same time. But uh, in my case, I mean, I just uh, I, I made some very simple rules of engagement, you know, which was like no repetitive rocking motion because that can really start to freak out your head, you know, like, you you know. When you look at like people who are suffering, you know, tremendously mentally, there's certain kind of behaviors that are demonstrated. So those out. And if if I can't, you know, behave in a way that I knew growing up is appropriate for society, well, you don't go, you know, you just lock yourself in your house for a day or two until it all calms down. You know, as part of that, like really hardcore training. But again, this is not like a, a, a recommendation at home. This was part of intense, intense shamanic training. There's, you know, not a lot of people who could who could withstand that kind of heat, you know, and and and, and be able to put themselves through that that kind of situation. <laughs> what is it, you know, what is it? Is it something that you were just kind of born with, or is this something that you've cultivated? Is this something that we all have in us if we have the willpower? Or, or what is this? Because that sounds like like the worst idea I've ever I've ever heard for myself personally. Or, yeah, or, I mean, I, you know. We got to put it into context. I was in my early 20s. Uh-huh. I had a certain amount of aptitude. Yeah. I had already received a very traditional calling and I loved it more than anything. And I had gotten to a point that I was completely committed that if I died through the process, I was accepting of that. You put all of that together and I just was able to squeak by, right? <laughs> you put all kind of you kind of like put a perfect scenario together, but especially during that period of time in my life, like that's what I lived for. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I went to go to the Amazon and participate in some ayahuasca and then I went home and gained benefits. Like I went and I stayed and I went to learn and train and I took it very seriously. And I was blessed to have two maestros that taught me in the traditional way. They treated me like blood relatives and made it very, very difficult for me to learn as a training method. Like when, yeah. when I sat down with Julio, I asked him if a white guy could learn. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, can a white guy learn this? Because I didn't see any other like real white guy learning this. And he goes, we all bleed red <laughs> if you can survive. Right? And like that's how we started. This was not like touchy-feely Montessori school. This was yeah. like, you know, you're going to bleed. And if you can make it through that, like, you know, then you can make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in my case, you know, it was it was something that was a passion. And I think if you have like a true passion for something and some aptitude, you can turn it into something amazing. Yeah, it certainly sounds like it. Yeah. So your processes accelerated your learning and then you continued that, opened up Blue Morpho, started offering healings there. But there was a point, and I want to get to that, there was a point where you got onto the the scent of something really fucking big. And yeah. I got a little taste of that yesterday. And, and and to close this out, I want you to kind of take our audience through what you took me through. But yeah. tell us about this new thing that you started to to encounter and how it kind of solved the problem of these shamans going to fight night and throwing darts at each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
I would say eight years into the process. Now, eight years, that is eight years living in the Amazon, participating in ayahuasca at least 100 to 120 times a year, like just in it, right? I came to a, to a focus on what I called universal mysticism and universal love. And that ex, ex spread to universal consciousness and then to universal definition of consciousness. So what that means in a practical way is what aspects of life are universal to all of us. Like, so could we, could we t look at anything that would apply to every single human being, regardless mm -hmm. of language, culture, age, anything, you know, how could we, how could we deduce that? And how could we rationalize it into a cohesive understanding? Cause it's, it's all over the place. Our mind is taught to, you know, focus on pieces, not the whole. And I started to get really interested in the whole and and then that started to evolve how we could we could work with ayahuasca, mm -hmm. right? And so really it started with universal love. I noticed that love was a, a piece that was universal to all people. And then I looked at mysticisms and I saw that love was sort of the ultimate expression. And by the time it gets to that ultimate expression, it's sort of right at that boundary of quantum uncertainty and this cosmic expression. And I saw a lot of correlation between that and the notion of God and... um so I started to look to, to really try to, to compile all of these pieces. That all took me back into the States. I had left the Amazon after 12 years. I was back in the States and suffering extreme chronic pain, like mm -hmm. unbelievable chronic pain. And now I was back in the U.S. medical system oh. and with now uh, pre-existing conditions and incapable of being able to get medical insurance. And so think about it. I'm in my mid-30s. I've been abroad for 12 years. There I can get medical treatment without any problems. The costs are no problems. It's all completely available. Everything's available. Anything that you need is available. And I come back home and I can't get treatment and I couldn't afford it. And so I was like in that crux. And so somebody, a good friend of mine said, you know, try medical marijuana. And I'm like, no, no, we can't do that. You know, all this Amazonian training didn't really like in the traditions, didn't really sure. comply. And finally, I just said, you know, the pain's too bad. I'm going to do it. So I, uh, you know, I, I got on the vaporizer mm -hmm. and I uh, got my medical card, you right. know, which I found out that I could get. Yeah. <laughs> right. I could go get a medical card, but I couldn't get, you know, physical therapy for my hip. Right. So well, I. Well, the, the former is probably better than the latter anyway. Hey, so. you know, so, so we went with that. And by the fourth, but the first time, I mean, I consumed it solely for the purpose of chronic pain, but I had, uh, you know, shamanic mystical awakening with the plant. I mean, you know, I was applying the same things that I had learned down in the Amazon in conjunction with the use of the plant. Never in my mind before that had I thought the plant had those capacities or capabilities because, mm -hmm. you know, it just it wasn't in the collective concept or the culture around the plant. And then I had this incredible explosion and I realized, wow, we can use this. This is big. We can use this for shamanism. So I started using it in a ceremonial ritualistic fashion for chronic pain to try and enhance the healing capacities of it. And in that fourth, uh, you know, the fourth ceremony, I was in connection with the head medicine spirit, sort of la madre, like with la madre of the plant. Mm -hmm. And it was in the city that looked like Tron, full 3D, like city of light. And I am cruising down the street at light speed. And I'm having these visions that every other street is going to places where there's like culture, 
use of cannabis. So we passed hip hop, we passed like passed you know sadhus, we we passed you know Ja Rastafaris. We were uh-huh. passing all these like zones, you know. And then we got to this place where everything started to look really similar to like Star Wars jump to light speed. Like it was all becoming pixelated and these long you know filaments of light. And then I popped into a space unlike anything I had ever, ever, ever seen. And that says a lot for someone who drank ayahuasca several thousand times. Completely. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, this is, this is the, the, the part that was so amazing. In ayahuasca, when you get an ayahuasca, it's hyper-structured. Mm-hmm. Hyper, man. It is shapes, colors, and patterns. It is dancing. It is moving. It is spirits beyond spirits beyond spirits or images, whatever you want to call them. It doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. being upon being upon being upon being in the millions and then the trillions, and it goes forever in every way. Fractally, yeah. This was just still and empty and filled with this like primordial substance of creation, but nothing else. That was it. And I have no idea how long I was there because it had no linear time associated with it. I came out of the vision at some point. I don't even know how. And I didn't even think anything of it because it was so novel. I just felt great. And that was it. And it just happened that the next week I was heading back down to Peru to to do another session, series of sessions with ayahuasca. And so I was I was there, you know, drinking I don't know, 13 ceremonies in 15 nights, something like that. Because when I go, I like to, you know, just pack toss it in, it, just pack it in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a trip around the shopping mall, right? Yeah. So I'm just packing in and and, um, and about by the eighth night ceremony, something like that, the spirits came to me and they said, you're going to go back and structure that world for healing and you're going to you're going to give it to the people. I was just like, I don't know, what are you talking about? Like, like, okay, 14 years of mystery did not prepare me for this message. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you mean? Like, we know how to navigate the space. We know how to change aspects of the space. But like, take a space that's this primordial soup of whatever. I don't even know how to get back. I was in Tron. I don't know. Right? It was <laughs> well, like first that. get me to Tron. And then I know I don't And then maybe into- <laughs> I can figure out like how to get there. And so... uh but but the biggest problem that I confronted with that was that it took me about 40, 45 minutes to get there. And I had been trained to like hold concentration and focus like a hardcore meditator for that amount of time. I'm like, people don't know how to do that. Yeah. So how can we do this? And so um, I went in and I, and, you know, I, I like, I was in a state of consciousness that in, in physics would look like, like, like the molecular bonds, like, like how matter is held together. Like that was sort of the state of consciousness and the vision I was in. And now put it in perspective, I'm in a single bedroom apartment, first floor in like an apartment tower in LA near UCLA, just to like think like where this is going down. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we, get, I get into the, the, uh, the ceremony to sort of structure this world, not knowing what's coming. And I, I started to look at it philosophically and when i did i realized that there was no room for for ego there's no room for self to do this there's no room for for you know personal desire to to actually do this like if you took this task very seriously and ultimately i realized that i was being given an opportunity to you know play divine architect for for like a model like like how like how would you do this you know yeah. like how would you do this you know how Oh, you really want to like, you know, have the world be a better place? How would the world be a better place? Like, oh, you really think you can touch human consciousness? H- how how would you do that? And so I got in there and I uh I I started to to build it in vision, knowing that what I was building was something that we would be able to share. And I ultimately coalesced it to nine universal definitions that 
to me represent uh, the nine dimensions with in which human beings coexist, like mm-hmm. actual dimensions of consciousness. And once it was created, I started working with it and then sharing it with other people and working with it more and, and really coalescing it. And then I realized that we had mapped universal human consciousness. And I had, I mean, it took me a while to come to the realization of what had happened that night in, in ceremony. Cause really I was just looking for a place to, to be able to have like a true watering hole, like the true melting pot, like right. the true place that anybody from any tradition, from any philosophy, from any background, from any education level, from any socioeconomic level could find a place of peace and joy and harmony within themselves, you know, to experience an aspect of their life like that. And then when I realized to do that, we had basically mapped the universal states of human consciousness. I thought, okay, we 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 discovered something big, you know. But it wasn't it wasn't like set out. It was, it really just happened. Yeah, you know, it really just happened. Well, at this point, everybody listening is trying to wrap their heads around what you're talking about, but it's not even possible because I couldn't do it until I felt until it. Said, exactly. So if you're up for it, if you want to look, just you can just look straight into the camera <laughs> and lead these good people into a little taste of, of what exactly you're talking about. You know? Okay, so the very first thing we need to do is just like get really calm and get really, really centered. And so if this is something that you want to take very seriously and not just listen to, I recommend you know taking a little time just to, to set a space, dim the lights or whatever, like make it really calm in the space that you are because this is going to be sort of a guided visualization that's going to... Uh, you know, help us tap into something very, very deep. What we want to do is first start by taking some short, deep breaths. You know, just like in nice and quick and then long and out and just get some kind of energy flowing and get centered here, here in our minds and in our in our bodies. We want to be able to feel it. There are four key realms to, to consciousness that makes all of these experiences real for us. And the first one that we normally connect to is the mental plane. So we want to like allow ourselves to have an experience in the mental plane. In our physical plane, we want to be in a calm, relaxed state. In the emotional plane, we just want to be stable or centered or open or present, whatever that looks like right now. And then in our imagination, we want to be able to free the imagination so that we can start to to model and understand the universe in a in a different way. So let's just go through that first, just to center. And we can look at this just as sort of like a guided meditation or a guided visualization. Breathe in. And start to just let it kind of like just relax. Like if you're just going to just like really, really relax into your body and take another deep breath. Now we need to use our imagination And we need to use our mind, we need to use our body, and we need to use our feelings to be able to find understanding of this. So the very first thing that we're going to do is connect with the heart. And if you want to, you can touch the space over your sternum where the the heart is and just connect to the heart as an organ that beats within you pumping blood all day, every day that you're alive. Let's also connect with the heart as an expression of emotion. We know that love is directly connected to the heart. We know that the deep feeling of bond and attachment comes 
also through the heart. And so let's just remember some times in our lives where we've really felt that like deep, deep within us, within our heart. Now, what I want to do is link the heart and the mind or the brain together. And so I just want to use a very, very simple breathing technique to do that. When we breathe in, I want us to just feel like energy just spreading from in and going up to the mind and also into the heart. And just just feel that connection to the best of your ability. And now I want to come back to the heart. I want you to think deep, deep, deep within your heart, beyond the tissue, beyond the cells. Connect deep into the center of your heart, deeper than the molecules, deeper than the atoms. I want you to connect deep, deep, deep into the center of your heart using your imagination, that connection and that feeling to love and the direction of your mind to go to that place. It doesn't matter how you connect there. You just need to know that that's where we are. When we go deep into the heart, we're going to start at a point of quantum uncertainty. We want to start at a point that when it's a point, we know what it is, but we don't know where it is. And if we know where it is, there's no point there to know what it is. A fluctuation so, so fast that we can't see the difference. From this point, we connect to this point as one or love or here. This point is very important in our lives because it's where you always are, no matter where you go, no matter where you are on earth, no matter where you are in vision. This is where we originate from, and this point is where we navigate through life. So this is one and love. The second is time, and I want us to define time as now, and now expressing everywhere in the universe at this exact moment. So I want us to imagine this point extending everywhere through the entire universe, and that we are connected from this point everywhere in the universe that we know. And by universe, I mean the empirical universe, the scientific one where you see stars outside. At the same point, I want us to connect the I. I. Ever since you were born, you have been a single being, and the single being represents you, the one you know, pure self-reference. The same one that was one years old, five years old, 10 years old, 20 years old. The pure awareness itself of your own existence. 
right here in the center of this heart. From this point, we are aware of four realms of consciousness. I call them realms because they're like great containers for our perception. And from the very moment that we were born until now, or from the very moment we started perceiving, maybe even in the womb until now, there has been a constant series and flow of perception. And we have perceived via these four realms. One of them is physical. It's your body and the physical universe. It's your relationship to physical matter and space. It's your relationship to all the other people in your lives and our possessions and our things that we have. And at the same time, we have a mind that functions through the brain. We have an imagination that functions through the extension of the mind. And we have feelings that function via the connection of the brain and the heart and the body. And so these are our four realms of consciousness. And they're emanated here from the heart. And they include the brain. And they include the heart. And they include the entirety of our being. So come into connection within yourself into the four realms of consciousness, which is mind, imagination, body, and feeling. Now I want us to use our imagination to conceive of every experience we've had through our lives. From the very first experience that you had that you may not even have a memory for, all the way until now, there is a single timeline. We have lived that timeline right now in every single moment, and in every single moment that we experience it, it becomes past. When we look at ourselves in the universe and we look at the universe, we see a commonality, which is that the universe and ourselves are always in motion. We're in motion in two different kinds. One kind is vibratory and it's scientific and it's measurable. And another one is comparative, like cars together driving across a road that are in comparative movement. That is very, very important to how we experience our own consciousness and how we experience life to understand that in every single moment, we and the universe move as one. It can be seen as two, three, four to infinity, but the movement itself is an expression at once. That expression of everything that is connected in physicality is also connected to what is in our minds, our feelings, and our imagination, which produces an interaction. And we all experience via this interaction of motion and vibration Literally everything that happens in our lives at any given time is expressed as a single whole. We have the love deep within our heart right now as a self-aware being of the entirety of our perception that is always moving and always interacting. And the totality of that is you or me or Aubrey or anybody else on the planet. And that is your whole being. When we look at that whole being in any given moment, what we see is that that origin of love is something that we all know, and we know it as medicine, and we know it as something that heals us. We know that we were born into the world a bundle of that love, 
and we know it still resides within us deep, even though our life experiences have done many things to try to cloud that awareness within us. And so this is our eighth dimension, is our own medicine, our own love as people. Once we connect to that love and we awaken to the entirety of our lives, we see that our lives are filled with many, many things that we call medicine, things that heal us, things that make life better, things that make us feel better. And if we really look at those, and the term that we use for them is medicine, if we really look at those medicines, we see that all of those medicines bring us back to the connection of the center point of love. They center us in our lives and they help us release the fears that encumber us in our everyday existence. And so we start from the center point deep of love and we recognize that in every single human, we share the same love. We look at the time and we see now and we see in every single human we share right now. We share that we are all self-aware We share that we all experience consciousness in the same four forms or the same four realms. The imagination, physicality, emotion, and cognition or the mind. We see that we are in one expression and emanating motion in and through the entirety of the universe at once that we are part of and that we experience. Through an interaction of matter and vibration, energies and things themselves, that have in our consciousness tremendous importance because they shape the entirety of our life. But we found that in modern world, it's very easy to get lost within that experience and not really know the foundation of our existence or our consciousness, which is why we know that origin medicine deep within our hearts is healing for others as well as ourselves and that we can always connect to it. And then we can know that through other medicines, they can all lead us to that exact same love and that exact same understanding of universal truths for all of humanity, individually and collectively. That's it, my friend. That's it. That's the starting point. (laughs) That's the starting point. From here, what I would like to see, and I would like to put it out there to, to people, if they're interested in proving it, quantifying it, mapping it, modeling it, and turning it into technologies that can help the planet and help humanity. That's why we're here. And it's something that I would love to share with, you know, as many people that are interested. The way that the way that you've been able to, as you say, you've codified it, you've mapped it. And it's, it, it, it's not that it's different than what these other traditions are saying. It's just the structure that's been applied. You know, like the Hawaiian kahunas who have the Ha'aponopono belief is very much in line with that same idea that we're all part of that one single point, you know, and and these other mystical traditions all get there, but it's spoken around it and philosophically there. But this is the, this is the blueprint. This is the, these are the bones for the math. Exactly. Yeah, that's how I look at it. I think that uh, I claim no ownership in the sense of having like created these concepts. On the contrary, they're shared through all universal mysticism worldwide, and they've been shared for tens of thousands of years. There's traditions that understand all the different pieces. Something that was special to my own path was that in in my tradition there was no tradition, meaning that we could learn from anybody and everybody. So spiritually, I connected with all of the traditions worldwide to learn from 
the great masters and who I called the ascended masters from all the traditions. And the culmination was to understand the universal points found in each one of those traditions and coalesce them, you know, for what is now a global humanity before each one of those traditions was relative to its own culture. But we don't live like that anymore. And so to bring them all together into a cohesive map now allows us to start to develop, you know, new healing modalities and treatment and use, you know, to, you know, expand consciousness, help people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. You look at all these traditions and at the core, one of the core teachings is non-judgment in all these traditions, but a very intrinsic part of these traditions is judgment of all other traditions. <laughs> you know, it's this, this really ironic state <clears throat> in which everybody thinks <clears throat> their way, their ascended masters are, you know, are the path. But really what you're talking about here is there's many ways to the same road, both from the medicine side, whether it's marijuana, whether it's ayahuasca, whether it's going deep in a float tank, like I know you did today. There's yeah. so many paths to that truth. And there's so many traditions that you can get there. And the new way in this emerging world, this new world, you know, is going to be not, you know, finding one new path and shutting everything out. It's going to be the inclusion of everything, you know, and I think that's going to be the final way because that's unbreakable. That has the support of all different facets, every wisdom that's come about. Yeah, the traditions are there and, you know, they're all, most of them, not all of them, but most of them are open to receiving outside participation. You know, you don't have to be specifically a member of the tribe to have the experience. There's endless competition around the, the traditions. That was always confusing for me, you know, which is why I always looked into them for what I considered to be their very best or their cleanest or, or, you know, purest form and expression, ultimately, which to me came to truth and love. And I saw love as something that was universally shared and truth as something that was the expression of that love itself. Like the way a human being mm -hmm. expresses that love is, is truth. And that ultimately truth could be shared amongst, you know, an endless number of people, as long as there was flexibility and openness to what that truth looked like. And I thought that that would be a great platform to at least start to build a bridge between the traditions and also for people to start to be able to really unite to make a difference or be able to make a change or, or be effective. You know, I think that there's so much emphasis in the world on healing, right? And I would like to start to see the emphasis on not needing healing, mm. right? Let's start to measure let's our go success. Upstream. Let's on, keep going upstream, let's keep going upstream, upstream. upstream. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not how you. well we heal problems. Let's right. start to work on the problems so that we don't have to heal them. And I think that we're just on the cusp now of that, right? I think it's such a dynamic time. And there are some, you know, really awake, really great minds that are all now starting to get really to work together. And that's never been seen before. So it's like, let's, let's work together. Let's turn it into a we, not just an I. I. I couldn't agree more. And I think one of the analogies that both of us like to use is if you look at human consciousness like an iPhone, you know, which takes a piece, takes a download, most of us aren't in constant communication with the mother cloud that's constant, that has the perfect source code. You know, it has iPhones updates one through infinity. It's sure. all available there. It's just a matter of what our hardware can actually accommodate, you know, at that given point. But all of these paths are really just opening that up. It's like plugging the phone back into the computer, back into the cloud. And whatever hardware improvements we've made will allow new software to kind of come through. And that is the greatest healing because those plans have all of the answers. You know, you, you hear these spontaneous remissions of everything. Well, how did that happen? Well, 
some forces that be in the body have the ability to reverse anything if the right conditions are present. And I think a key part of that is just connecting and maintaining that connection to the source. Yeah, the connection's really key. Consistency's key, mm. right? Making it part of lifestyle's key. But another, another part that's also really important is perspective. And one perspective that always blows my mind is that hu- human beings are excited by animals, but not by each other. <laughs> right. Even though human beings are the most interesting animals on the planet, right. right? That one. And then the other the other side of it is to also understand that if we go back far enough in history, all of the major inventions that have shaped the entirety of the way that we collectively live did not exist 200, 300, 400, 500 years ago. And so to really be open and if you have if you're inventive and if you have a, a mind for creation and engineering and and, you know, modeling and checking things out, you know, the cusp of new technology is every day. Right. We have the possibility of developing new things and inventing new things and using human ingenuity to continue to push the boundary of how we know life and how we know existence and how we know source and how we connect and how we relate. And so why not use it? Let's utilize technology. Let's utilize the mind. Let's utilize our Western education. Let's utilize mysticism. Let's utilize all of it to really make a very positive impact, not only in our own lives, but the lives of the other people we touch. Para el bien de todos. Para el bien de todos. For the good of all. Absolutely. It's a call to arms, my brothers and sisters. Let's do it. It's been a fucking honor to hang with you. And you. Uh, I look forward to Same. a lifelong alliance. And, and let's do this, brother. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much again for me, too. And uh, kudos again to all the work that you for guys sure. do. And, you know, thank you all. And if you're interested in our work, uh, bluemorphofoundation.org or bluemorphotours.com down in Peru. And, you know, we're charity. We want to help the world. So let's do it. And each part of the world, before you help the world, I mean, one of these key concepts is becoming fit for service. So, you know, don't worry. You don't have to even worry too much about helping the world. If you're just helping yourself, that's the way to start. You know, get yourself fit for service and then you'll be even more effective in helping the world. So it's okay to focus on yourself. You know? I would say it, it's mandatory. Yeah. <laughs> and the world I'm talking about is our world. Like yeah. it's it's your world that you live in personally. Yeah, right? That's, that is our world. That's the collective. Indeed. Thank you, Hamilton. It's been an honor, my friend. Thank you very much. Everybody, you. peace. There will be part three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but not this quickly. So <laughs> you're going to have to wait for the next time. Later. <laughs> Thanks for dropping in with Hamilton. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him as much as I enjoyed meeting him this very first time in our continued relationship and the continued work that I've been able to do with him. And also, if this is still November and it's not Cyber Monday yet, definitely go to onit.com slash Black Friday. Check that out. Take some risks. Take some experiments. Try some things you haven't tried before. Stock up on the stuff that you love. It's a really awesome opportunity for that. And of course... Give me your feedback. Let me know at Aubrey Marcus on Instagram, on everything, everywhere. I love you guys. I will see you next week.